Hey listeners, uh, it's Rabbit. As you know, every episode of No Gods, No Monsters has strong language, uh, substance use, and a deep, deep hatred for the police. But this episode in particular, we end up talking about war and patriotism, and um, I mean, I think we have a pretty good nuanced discussion towards the end of this episode about the the mindset of soldiers and a lot of people in this country but uh it does get pretty graphic so if discussions around uh children dying in war and and graphic imagery around that isn't something that you want to listen to then i would suggest to not listen to this episode or at least not listen to the last third of this episode uh just wanted to give you a heads up Hope you enjoy this long episode, and thanks for listening. If you were to hold the whole world hostage, you had a power that could just destroy cities, and you were going to hold the world hostage, and you were going to make two demands. I These are my two demands. If these two demands aren't met, I'll blow up all the shit. What would your two demands be? Build an in and out in St. Louis County. Um, <laughs> okay. And, um... Cure my uh, tinnitus. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Yeah. Is there a cure for tinnitus? No. Oh, so you just want to watch the world burn. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that coming from, I like kaiju movies because I like seeing cities and people being destroyed. I didn't say people. Um, <laughs> And so does everyone, dude. Uh. I think it's so funny that the Moo are like, we have two demands or we'll destroy all your shit. One, stop building your submarine. Two, give the entire world to the Moo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like such a I funny... also, I don't understand a few things in this movie, but yeah, like, it doesn't make sense to me that they're like, we can completely take over the world except the one thing... That can stop us is this submarine, which we know you haven't completed building, so we could have taken over <laughs> the world at any point before this time. Yeah. But we decided not to. Like, and, like, <laughs> it was very. Yeah, 100%. Also, give the entire world to the moon. That would include the submarine. So the first one's redundant. Yeah. <laughs> also, they're gonna take over. Like, they're like. If you don't give us up to the Moo, or give yourselves up to us, we'll take over you. (laughs) I mean, it'll be, I guess it'll be a little more destructive, but, dude, there's so many things in this movie. Like, I like this movie. I think it's fun. I think it has good messaging. But there's so many weird plot holes that make no sense. Yeah. (laughs) um, Um, Which I'm sure we'll get into. But what would would be your demands? Um, Mine would be stop building the submarine and give the entire world to the Moo. I don't trust you anymore. 
<laughs> I mean, the real moon. Not I just noticed. I just noticed you have a, you have a beard, and you've been following me around, and I think I remember you and dropping glasses. a tracking device the other day, <laughs> and looking like a beat poet. Yeah, <laughs> totally. Uh, um, yeah, you're saying Abe Lincoln when we watched it together. Uh, beat poet is more uh, appropriate, I think. Dude, the weird thing is I was saying Abe Lincoln as a joke. I mean, I was super stoned when we watched it together and didn't know what was going on. But yeah. I was saying Abe Lincoln in a, as a joke, but it turns out I looked into it and the actor who plays... It was um, Abe Lincoln. Uh, no, no, it was the love child of Abe Lincoln and Allen Ginsberg. I don't crazy. know how that works out uh, in terms of... When Biology, people love each other, birds bring babies to them. Love always finds a way. Yeah, exactly. That's the Jurassic Park thing, right? Love finds a way. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, I don't know what my demands would be. Uh, I didn't yeah, either. That's, that's tough. Um, yeah, and see. you put me on the spot. You're not on the spot, asshole. Well, that's why I didn't come up with any, because I thought it would be fucked up to be not on the spot dumbass um <laughs> what are my demands uh i mean they're gonna be boring destroy all governments land back you know no internet just so you can play overwatch with me oh yeah okay okay the, uh, all the governments have to give the land back to the indigenous people and internet at my house so i could play overwatch with charlie <laughs> yeah I mean, we can also play with other land. too. <laughs> Sweet. Well, that was bleak. Uh, welcome to No Gods, No Monsters. We're the anti-capitalist kaiju and giant monster podcast in a world where no one is coming to save us. I'm Rabbit, and I'm, as always, I am here with Charlie, and today we're talking about 1963's Atragon. Charlie, you want to give us the scoop on this film? Good evening, kaiju... No nation. Kaiju comrades. Good evening, kaiju guys, kaiju gals, and kaiju non-binary pals um, who form a nation. Uh, <laughs> this is the one and only kaiju fuckboy for 2069. Here to tell you about Atragon. Atlantis is actually Moo. And Moo exists. Wait, is it Mew or Moo? It's Moo, right? I don't know. It's Moo to me. It's all. Everything's coming up Moo. Atlantis is actually Moo. And Moo exists. And it's a few scores of leagues and a couple fathoms under the sea. And it's inhabited by an imperialist civilization with aims at world domination. Think I'm making that up? I'm not. It's true. Just one problem. The flying, drilling, freezing submarine Atragon being built by the war-crazy, jingoistic former naval captain Jinguji. While Mu may have the power to easily destroy any major city on the planet, this submarine can still rock their shit. So Mu sends secret agents around Japan in an attempt to track down Jinguji. The captain's daughter, the former admiral, some photographers, a bastard, and probably some others I forget, get all involved and shit goes down and cities get destroyed and a giant serpent named Manda gets frozen and then the Mu civilization gets genocided by Atragon. Also, the Empress of Mu has pretty cool hair. The end. 
Directed by Ishiro Honda. Special effects by Iji Tsuburaya. Music by Akira Fukube. With Tadayo Takashima as Susumu. Yoko Fujiyama as Makoto. Yu Fujiki as Yoshito. Akihiko Hirata as Mu Agent Number 23. Kenji Sahara as Uto Uno. Jun Tazaki as Jinguji. Ken Yuhara as Admiral Kasumi. Hiroshi Koizumi as Detective Ito. Hideo Amamato as the High Priest Samu. And Tetsuko Kobayashi as the Empress Samu. With People's 1997 and 2006 Sexiest Man Alive choice, George Clooney as Manda, and John W. Chitsey as the titular submarine Atragon. <laughs> the movie that dares to answer the age-old question that we've all pondered, who would win, a super-powered underwater empire on the verge of world domination, or one wily sub? Don't ever forget, history shows again and again how nature points out the folly of man Manda. It's the submarine movie Das Boot ripped off. That's right, Kaiju non-nation. It's Atragon, baby! You hit, me, you hit with us with the basics, and you also gave me some facts I didn't even know. You know? Yeah, you're welcome. I'm charitable. I didn't know uh, a lot of... Yeah, that's great. I know, so again, we watched this one together for the first time, um... I was very stoned, and you kind of had to keep explaining to me what was happening, so we missed a lot of it. But um, we both since watched it again. What do you generally think about this movie? Well, first of all, when you would ask me to explain things to you, my explanation would be like, I don't know, you were talking too much, I couldn't pay attention. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so I thought that's what the movie was about. <laughs> I thought it was some weird meta shit. Well, I hope my synopsis cleared things up for you. <laughs> it did, 100%. Um, yeah, I, I enjoy this movie. Uh, I've never watched any of Honda's, um, non-kaiju movies, because he was put, putting out a bunch of, um, uh, sci-fi movies without giant monsters at this time, and I've never gotten <gasps> to watch any of them. Blasphemy. Yeah. Honda, no! Honda, no! I'll kill you! Um, so I wonder if this... I've always wondered what those are like, and I assume it's something like this. Um, but, yeah, this movie's a lot of fun. It's uh, nothing too special, but it's uh, it's got a cool style to it. Um, it's really crazy plot-wise, and I, I, I quite enjoyed it. A little too long, in my opinion, but still solid. Nice. Oh, I... Um, wasn't paying attention, and I thought you had said what you thought of it before you asked me, but I guess that's not the case. So what do you think of it? <laughs> um, yeah, I. this movie is a lot of fun. It was a really nice change of pace. It was, it was, I don't know, it was just wild. Like, um, it kind of had like a noir feel, and then it kind of just subverted that with a bunch of weird fantasy and military stuff. I really liked that the themes were really hard-hitting. Um, I felt like we kind of hadn't had that in a while with a Honda movie, and like we, I felt like he'd been getting less and less thematic throughout and then just tacking on themes at the end, so it was kind of nice. Yeah. Maybe that's not fair, but it, it just felt like a cohesive 
set of themes that worked in some ways. There's ways they didn't work. But, yeah, I don't know. The characters were fun and interesting. It There weren't really any boring parts. Like, I don't know. I, I guess I, that kind of shows that I... I don't know. I'm not great at watching old movies. Sometimes there's parts that I find boring. And this one, I just... It just... It felt pretty tight to me. And I liked it. Um... And some of the effects were meh, but some of the effects were really cool. Yeah, I agree. Uh, there are some pretty cool effects. Yeah, it's funny you say that about the noir thing. Because, like, for the first three minutes, it feels like a Japanese New Wave um, Yakuza movie. Like a, a like a Seijun, Seijun Suzuki type of movie. And oh, then, yeah, totally. That's what I was going to say. I can't tell if you're being sarcastic or not. I am. I don't know what any of that means, but I just wanted to sound like a film book. <laughs> okay. um, the first three minutes, like, it definitely feels like that, especially with, like, when he takes the photograph and it's, like, upside down. Yeah. And, like, 100% feels like that. And I got really excited when we were first watching. It's like, holy shit, Honda's really uh, doing something different here. But then it just drops it after the first few minutes. And yeah. I was kind of disappointed by that. Um, definitely. But, and not, not just the upside down photograph, but, like, the... The whole, the fact that there's, like, a cold open before Mm -hmm. the title and, like, the very first shots are, like, winding on a road with skidding tires through the darkness with just, like, city lights. And it's, like, you as the viewer are as discombobulated. And then there's the upside-down photograph. Like, we're all discombobulated, just like the characters who don't know what's going on. And it's just, like, it's, it's very artsy in a way that the rest of the film doesn't have, you know? Yeah. I also want to say... This movie, a lot of it kind of felt more like a Fukuda uh, movie and just how crazy and weird the plot got, I guess. Um, You're just saying that because they go to an island. That's true. <laughs> For those who that don't know, is. who aren't uh, having, because we haven't gotten to Jun Fukuda yet, he makes, uh, he was the director for most of the later Showa era um, films. Like pretty soon, the Godzilla films are mostly going to be his and. Uh, they're considered generally weirder, maybe sillier, and most of them take place on, like, tropical islands. Yep. And this, the plot in this was just so, so much weirder than the other Honda movies. Not that those are normal plots, but it's just, it's an insane plot. Yeah, it really is. And it's, I mean, it it kind of has a normal kaiju plot. It's just the kaiju is a giant, uh like it is a submarine instead of a giant monster um so it's like you're waiting for the reveal of this monster that's just a submarine so like it kind of fits that but it really doesn't it's just it's much it's much uh curvier there's like an ensemble cast instead of just being the main like three characters that we normally get um yeah it's very different and tone wise and even visually like the colors and stuff are just very different it feels more urban or something even though they're going yeah. to weird uh other far off lands but i don't know yeah, it's it it's a cool one mm-hmm. we should probably say why we watched this movie when we haven't watched all of honda's movies because there's a kaiju in it well that's not the only reason i mean i think even if this movie existed with this with with uh the manda in it we might not have watched it because it's such a small part of the movie, but I think the fact that this 
that Manda appears in another Godzilla movie later, Destroy All Monsters, so it's part of that universe. And also, I'm pretty sure the submarine, which I feel weird calling it a submarine, because it's also a... It's not just sub... Because it flies. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's like a blimp that can go underwater. Yeah, and on land. And it can uh-huh. dig. Um, anyway, that, I think, appears in a later Godzilla movie. I can't remember which one, but I... I feel like Was I've seen that before, and I didn't want to Tokyo spoil Tokyo SOS, myself. maybe? Probably. One of the weird Millennium ones, probably. I'm not sure. I mean, I've seen, like, 32 of the 36, so it must be one of the Millennium wow. ones I haven't seen. Humble brag. Um, it's literally my job, bro. It's your job? Are you it's making money off this? No, we're losing lots of money on this. <laughs> um... Sweet. Any other uh, general thoughts and feelings? I wish there was more Amanda. That's I'm going to say I will disagree. <laughs> I don't know why you have so much hate in your heart. I don't know either. I was just born this way. Hey. Okay. One one thing I do <laughs> want to bring up before, before we I was go. I'm going to quote the Lady Gaga song, but I couldn't remember the lyrics. Sorry. It's all good. Um. One thing we should bring up before we keep going, I was going to bring it up later, but let's just do it. The name of this movie. So, do you want to go into this or do you want me to? Uh, I don't remember. I mean, I know there is something with, like, Goat Again. uh, And then, yeah, that's a weird part of the movie. They they meet up with Jinjuji and they're like... Where's Atrigan? He's like, Atrigan? You mean Goat Again? That's Atrigan. And then they never explain, like, why... So the reason for that is that, so Atragon in the Japanese version is the name of Manda, the dragon, the underwater dragon. It's, it's a combination of the words Atlantis and dragon, Atragon, and a dragon from Atlantis. And in the Japanese version, the submarine is called Gotengo. But in the English dub, they changed it so that Atragon was the name of the sub, which is a weird thing, but also kind of makes sense because the movie's about the sub, so it kind of fits. But then also in the 2006 DVD release, where subtitles, which is must be where, what you and I watched, they also changed that. So basically, Atragon is supposed to be the dragon, but for us, when we say Atragon, we're talking about the submarine... And so in the movie, they don't make any explanation. They're just like, Atragon, which is also Gotengo. Also, Gotengo, you know, Atragon. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's so silly. <clears throat> yeah, uh, and there, there's kind of more things attached to that, but we'll get to that when we get to that. Another thing about Manda. So I tried watching the commentary on this movie with the assistant director, and it was super, super boring. So I stopped about 30 to 40 minutes in. And there wasn't that much interesting I was taking notes of, but one interesting thing was 1964 was the year of the dragon. So they wanted yes. to do a dragon kaiju um, because this movie was coming out in New Year's. And they kept talking about how this movie had to have a gorgeous cast because it was a, a New Year's movie is, is a big thing. So you had to make sure it had a gorgeous cast. And they kept talking about the gorgeous cast for this <laughs> because it had because it was a New Year's movie. That's funny. Um, yeah. Uh, and that's also why the 
production time was cut in half from a normal film at the time, from a normal Toho film at the time. It was three months because they had to get it out in time for the Year of the Dragon, which is also why Manda feels kind of shoehorned into the movie, you know? <laughs> but yeah, it's kind of, it's a wild thing. All right, so before we dive into the movie itself, we wanted to give a little bit of context. Charlie, you got any context to start, or do you want me to just go for it? Uh, you can go for it. I know you're raring to go. I'm good either way, man. No, I can see that look in your eyes. You, you. There's no video. There's no. You're like a hungry rabbit. It's just odd. With a carrot just being shoved it's in front just, of your uh, eyes. In different states, we're on the phone. Get that carrot. So, so uh, first off, um, this movie was largely influenced and inspired by the novel. Uh, I'm gonna get this wrong. Kaite Gun uh, Gunken, which is submarine warship. Wrong. By Sunro Oshikawa. Wrong. It was also inspired by the illustrated story Kaite Okoku, Undersea Kingdom, by Shigeru Komatsuzukai. Oh my Correct. God. Komatsuzaki. Komatsuzaki. Yeah. Yeah, Shigeru Komatsuzaki. And those books were both likely inspired by Jules Verne's uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Although I believe um, somebody on Twitter was mentioning that the novel that it's based on was actually written, like, I believe they were saying it was pre-World War II, so it was kind of when the Japanese Empire was still in full swing, and so that very much probably changes the tone of the story, since this is so post-World War II, you know? Yes. One thing that I didn't fully get the first time I watched the movie, I mean, I, I probably just because I was stoned and we were watching it together, but like... Do you remember when they were talking about the A400 class submarines? Yeah. So they're like, there's the A400, the A401, and the A402, and then they're like, we heard there's an A403, and then it turns out there was, but it was destroyed, but... Yeah, well, that was Shinguji's uh, sub, and he disappeared because he revolted, and... Yes. Yeah. yeah. So, and then that one was the one that, like, that one was disappeared but they had the blueprints still and so they used that to create atragon but atragon was like a fucking way gnarlier version right no that's not what no the blueprints was they had the blueprints prints for atragon on the on board of um that submarine so when uh the Moo took the submarine over, they found those blueprints, and that's how they knew that Atragon existed and Junigi was uh, um, heading up its construction. Gotcha. Okay, cool, cool, cool. So, I don't know why our translation said A400, because the I-400 class of submarines are actually a real thing. The I-400 class of submarines were the largest submarines in existence during World War II. They were Japanese submarines. Um... The I-400, I-401, and I-402 all made it through the war and were used in the war, but they were sunk by American, um, they were sunk in American ex uh, military exercises a year after the war ended. There were, like... Wait, they were sunk in exercises? Yeah, I'm assuming because the i'm just totally assuming but because the u.s military occupied japan after that and then was still carrying out exercises i'm assuming they just used those as like 
for part of fucking some kind of fucking submarine destroying exercise or something. I'm not sure. That seems wasteful. Uh, the United States being wasteful? <laughs> Weird. I mean, I um, guess you're going to be wasteful about something and have it be a, a instrument of war. <laughs> but for sure. It's like... It's like, yeah, we're just going to completely destroy your shit while we're just uh, playing around, exercising, having fun. Hey, it's good for the environment. They're now artificial reeds. Or reeds. <laughs> um, but uh, so in the movie, they're like, oh, but there's a 403, and that's the one that was his, right, that disappeared. Um, That's actually mm-hmm. based on, I think, rumors at the time that there was a 403. Um, But actually, there were plans to... Con- struck the I-403 submarine, but they were canceled in October of 1943 and it was never made. But it was just interesting to me that that was all actually based on real stuff that Japanese folks might have known about at the time, like audiences, because in World War II, the the military mindset was like, especially with Navy stuff, like the bigger the better. Like the Yamato and the Musashi were the heaviest and most powerful uh, armed battersh- battleships ever constructed at the time. And you remember the Yamato, Charlie, from our our uh, first episode we recorded, which which died and no one's heard yet. But Rago mm-hmm. is about the Yamato. Um, so if anybody ever wants to watch the uh, kaiju movie Rago, you'll learn yeah. some shit about the Yamato. It's historically accurate. Also, the like the named battleship cruiser in StarCraft is named the Yamato. Oh shit! I didn't know that. Mm. So another thing, like, political context for this movie is that um, Jinjuji's, I don't know how to pronounce that, but that's how I'm going to pronounce it, um, character is kind of partially a stand-in for a very real post-World War II, like, mindset that some people had. So I'm going to read from the book I always quote from Mushroom Clouds and Mushroom Men by Peter H. Brothers. Shout out to Peter H. Brothers. Seriously, keeping us afloat. When the war finally ended, at a terrible cost to both Japanese soldier and civilian alike, to say nothing of the millions who died fighting against them, there were still many Japanese who believed their cause had been a just and noble one. The disastrous defeat and humiliating American occupation which followed did little to qualm the resentment held by many still bitter at the outcome and who longed to reestablish their military forces back to their former glory, demonstrated on an individual basis by a number of Japanese soldiers who, even as late as the 1960s, remained stationed on remote islands clinging to a mistaken belief of their inevitable victory. Pretty fucking crazy. Okay, yeah, I was actually, I was going to bring that up because, um, yeah, I I remember hearing about that before and this movie made me think of that. I didn't know if it was supposed to be any kind of direct reference to them, but yeah, that's definitely... Crossed through my mind, so we were watching it. It 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 feels too on the nose to not be a direct reference. Like they're yeah. literally on a remote island, holding out hope to win a war that's no longer happening for a country that no longer wants them to fight in that way. Right? It's kind of yeah, for sure. I didn't know like the time frame of when those people sure. were found or whatever. Um, so like, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't know if it could be a direct reference or what. Totally, totally. Yeah, I didn't know anything about that until I read about it. So pretty cool. I thought that was really interesting. This movie, like a lot of Honda movies and Godzilla movies in general, 
has way more depth to it and way more like historical significance than you would think on a on a first watch through, right? Mm. The last context I just wanted to give is that the Moo was not made up for this movie. I remember when we were watching it, you and I were like, I feel like the Moo is a thing we've heard about before, but we weren't like totally sure if I'm remembering correctly. But we both yeah, felt like, like we were pretty sure. Um, yeah. But yeah, Moo was a legendary lost continent. It's basically a uh, another name for Atlantis. Um, I believe it was introduced by Augustus Le Plongion, uh, who used the land of Mu as an alternate name for Atlantis. I'm reading Wikipedia here. Um, and then uh, it was su- popularized um, by James Churchward as an alternative term for the hypothetical land of Lemuria, all real places. Um, who asserted that Mu was located in the Pacific Ocean before its destruction, and it's part of, like, pseudo-archaeology. Like, some people believe it, it it's real. Other people just think it's a fun story. That's all the context I got. Done with the boring stuff for now. Um, yes, the uh, electronic group, the KLF, from the 80s and 90s, one of their names before the KLF was the, the Justified Ancients of Mu Mu. So that's what was going through my mind when we nice. watched the movie. I've and never was... heard of either of those bands. Are they are they are they legit? They're pretty good. Um, the KLF has they have a good ambient album. Then they have another album which is kind of like kind of has like an electro jock jam kind of feel to it. But it's a uh, it's 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 a solid solid enough record. They burnt. They famously burnt like a. Hundred million quid or something like that. Well, that's cool. Or, I mean, it's not or, cool. Uh, but it, it was just a million. Just a million. Uh, that makes a lot more sense. I mean, what's a quid though? <laughs> um, it's probably not as strong as the dollar because nothing's as strong as the dollar because the dollar's American. A pound is more than a dollar. A euro is more than a dollar. You know what? I don't need this negativity. Anti. Anti. Biden sentiment when I know you're rearing up to vote for Biden 2024. You got me there. Um, what does YLF stand for? Uh, KLF. What does KLF stand for? I don't remember. Okay, sorry, I was thinking of YLF because that's Youth Liberation Front. And I'm playing uh, The Last of Us Part 2 right now, and there's the Washington Liberation Front. Also, you know, Animal Liberation Front, Earth Liberation Front, all the fronts that all those are named after, so I'm assuming it's a liberation front, but Should probably I the play? King Kong Liberation Front. I need to play that band. I need to play that game. That's not a band. All right, let's get back into it. So why don't we talk about The Last of Us after? Okay, so let's move on to the characters, human story. I mean, I feel like we gave our general thoughts and feelings on the human story. Should we just go into the characters? Yeah, that works. Um, holy shit, there's. Way too many fucking characters. <laughs> so, yeah, we're just going to lightly touch on them all because there's so many that we'll not say much. But I, I really wanted to point out how many of these actors we've already seen before and talked about in this show, you know? Yep. Do you want to go through that or do you want me to? You got it. I okay. don't know who's who in any of these movies anymore. <laughs> I I started confusing Godzilla with Sekizawa, so I'm out. You can figure it out. <laughs> you were confusing a giant 
a mutated prehistoric dinosaur with atomic breath with the writer of some of these movies? There's just so many people involved. Like so many. I know, but that, that's the easy one. None of them are Godzilla. Okay. So, here we go. I'm going rapid fire. Susumu, who's like the main character photographer guy, is one of the main characters in uh, King Kong vs. Godzilla. Uh, Yoshido, um, who's played by Yu Fujiki, the other guy I just mentioned, is Tadeo Takashima. They are a comedy duo who is known in Japan, and uh, they they are always like paired up um, or often. And he is also in this movie. He's the co-worker of... Susumu, and he is also his co-worker in King Kong vs. Godzilla. Moo agent number 23, um, who we always call Serizawa, but we could just remember his name. It's Her- Hirata. His last name's Hirata. Akihiko Hirata. He's in fucking everything, including he plays Serizawa in Godzilla. He's in Rodan. He's in Mothra. I think he's in Varen. Um, and he's a cool as fuck dude. He's our, he's our fave. Um, Uoto Uno, played by Kenji Sahara, the one that we were saying is uh, Allen Ginsberg and Abraham Lincoln's child, um, who plays the journalist who's actually a Moo agent in this. He is actually the lead role in Rodan, which I never would have picked up, but he's got his disguise and his beard. And uh, I, Yeah, I did not realize that at all. Never would have picked that up. Um, I'm skipping over the ones who don't have other roles. Uh, Detective Ito, the bastard, uh, is played by Hiroshi Koizumi. He is the lead in Godzilla Raids Again, the uh, bootlicking tuna fisherman. Wow, he loves playing a bootlicker. He's also (laughs) in a ton of later Godzilla movies, including Mothra vs. Godzilla, Ghidorah the Three-Headed Monster, Godzilla vs. Mechagodzilla, and Godzilla 1985. He's one of the few actors to transcend eras. He's in at least the Showa era and the Heisei era. Pretty wild. Uh, Tome Armano Amanoshome, who's like the person who's stalking Makoto, um, who turns out to be like, uh, one of Jinjiju's, oh my god, there's so many people, uh, henchmen or whatever, um, he is, uh, in Rodan and Mothra vs. Godzilla, and I think that's all of them that I can remember. It's it's wild. It's so weird watching these old Japanese movies because especially the male actors have... It's just a rotating cast of the same people in all the movies. And it's not something we see in the U.S. that often in the, in the same series. Also, though, there's no series like Godzilla with this many movies. But um, it's just fucking nuts. Yeah, I also want to point out, you present me with a boot that just stepped on a double-double. I will lick that fucking thing like a goddamn popsicle. Oh, yeah. I, uh, when I was freaking one time, I was driving with some friends and I saw half a double double on the asphalt in the middle of the street and I hadn't eaten a double double, any in and out in like four <laughs> years. And I made them stop and I ate a cold half eaten <laughs> double double <laughs> off of the goddamn asphalt. So I hear you. <laughs> Probably some boot tread on it. Actually, I should, I, I should be honest. I shared it. So I didn't eat the whole half. that 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 uh that makes up for it (laughs) all right let's go into some of these characters um obviously we won't know much about each of them but we'll just do what we can so susumu he's the photographer at the beginning falls in love with makoto the leading woman i don't know i thought he was kind of a, a fine character i liked when he when he stood up to uh makoto's dad uh jinjuji yeah more crazy 
Yeah, he called him war crazy, and that that struck a nerve. Um, oh yeah, yeah. The one thing about him and uh, I don't remember who his partner was. Yoshito is his character's name. Yes, the two of them. The uh, very creepy how they're like, hey, let's follow this woman. Let's take a picture of her license plate and figure out where she is and track her down. Just because they think she's hot, too. Yeah. Um, oh, and then she's saying, like, oh, I have this man who's following me, and I was sure it was them. Yeah, me too. And I was like, oh, my God, this makes it so much creepier. Yeah. <laughs> um, God, can you imagine having three stalkers and two of them are buddies? So fucking creepy. Yeah. Uh, so that's one kind of negative thing for the character. Also, it kind of reminds me of um, them, where... They come across this giant global problem that needs fixing. The people that were there in the beginning are, like, involved with the whole thing when it makes no logical sense for them to be. Like, these two photographers are just, like, tagging along. There's no reason for them to be at all. Um even even same with the de- with the detective, but I guess that makes still makes more sense than just these two yeah. random photographers. That's such a good point. It's also like them and like Beast from Twenty Thousand Fathoms and a lot of those old movies. It's just the unearned romance. Like one scene, yeah, he's just hanging out. The next, he's holding her hand, and like people are being like insinuating that they're going to get married or something. It's very strange. <laughs> Another thing that is weird about his character is he. When you were first saying, like, oh, they're dealing with these huge problems, I thought you were going to be like, and they're not treating them like they're huge problems. Like, I just remember the scene where he's sitting next to Makoto, and he has this giant grin on his face, and he's like, what's going on? Are you depressed? (laughs) Yeah. I I remember us laughing about that. (laughs) What the fuck is wrong with you? Um, But as a character, I mean, he's brave. He gets kidnapped and he steals the dynamite and uses it to save himself and Makoto. Um, he stands up to, to the, the warmongering father on, on paper besides the, the weird stalkery shit in the beginning. He's generally yeah. just, they mean to portray him as a good guy. Yeah, definitely. They, I think they saw that stalkery stuff as uh endearing i guess <laughs> or just normal Which, or something yeah <laughs> in yeah. 20 um 2013 is not the truth what year is it 2021 and 2021 is not how it comes across although who knows when this is going to come out since we're, we're... anyway um... yeah it might be 2013 <laughs> uh okay what about makoto the captain's daughter. I don't know. There isn't much to her again. Like, I wish she stood up more to her dad. Um, uh, I mean, I feel like, man, I kind of had the opposite. I was like, man, we finally, I mean, I mean, I guess it's a mixed bag. We finally have what I feel like is a strong woman protagonist. She stands up to her so? dad, literally says, I hate you, which I feel like now is pretty intense, but I am assuming in the 1960s and especially in Japan, I, Maybe I'm completely ignorant, but I feel like that would be a big deal. Yeah, I think I, I think I missed that the last time I was watching it. Um, maybe I was taking notes when she said that. 
She says, like, you think just like the Moo, and I hate you for it. And he's like, oh, come on. And she's like, I hate you. I hate you. And runs away. I don't remember that at all. And then, um, and then right after that, Susumu runs up, and that's when he calls him war crazy and talks about how he's wearing old armor. Um, but her saying that to him is what turns him. So okay, that's good. I, but then, then I she think, becomes... Yeah, I think I was, like, looking down and taking notes, and I missed that. But then she becomes a damsel in distress again. And yeah. Susumu has to save her, and it's just like, come on, man, we were so close. And also, Susumu, like, he half-asses the saving. He's just like... And it's weird how they portray the whole thing. He just, like, ends up in the jail cell, and he's just like, oh, yeah, I stole these dynamite. Yeah. And, then, <laughs> and then he's, like, about to throw the dynamite away. He's like, oh, I guess he's... I guess he's our useless. And then, he's like, I saw and, this, uh... I saw this... This chrome, like, <laughs> tube, and I just knew that it was special ancient civilization underwater dynamite, so I stole <laughs> it when you all weren't looking. Like, what? Yeah. And apparently it was just, like, it's like, super easy stealing. <laughs> so, yeah. like, that would be, like, a major point that uh, the most directors would, like, want to portray is, like, the stealing of the thing that will help them escape. And it's just, Yeah, that like, would be, like, the second act. Yeah. <laughs> so weird. Um okay, moving on to Yoshito. I got nothing to say. He's just there and he makes a couple jokes and that's it. Yeah, basically. I like the point um at the end when uh is the the whole new civilization is being killed and the empress goes and like jumps off the submarine into the ocean. And then he's just, like, taking a picture. <laughs> he's just very casually taking a picture. It's, That's so funny. It's very funny. But, yeah, for the most part, there isn't much to him. He's just kind of uh, um, Susumu's right-hand man who stalks women for him. Um, and, Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I mean, he has, he has a couple interesting lines, but, I mean, whatever. It's an ensemble cast. There's not, mm-hmm. you know, not a ton to him. Um. Okay, our boy, Hirata, Sarazawa himself, playing Mu Agent number 23. What'd you think of him? Wait, why do you have question mark next to Varane? Because I couldn't remember, and it wasn't okay. it wasn't on IMDb for him. Gotcha. But uh, I'm pretty sure he's in that. I I'm think almost he, positive. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he is, too. I think he's the paleontologist um, in that one. Because I think I remember us, uh, we were watching together, and we were like, is that Sarazawa? Yeah. Um. Yeah. He's, he's, uh, he's the goat. He's, yeah, I mean, he's, he's awesome in this. Mm-hmm. He's awesome in everything. He's, he's, he's so great. Um, but this is one of my favorite roles of his. He's just so eccentric. Like, the yeah, first shot uh, is him driving in, like, aviator sunglasses at night. <laughs> like, It's also cool, um, yeah, for, I mean, for that part, like, we talked about how it opens up and it kind of seems like a noir um, and how uh, you were talking about how it seems like a new wave Yakuza film directed by Suzuki. Yeah, um, yeah and you agree. Yeah, yeah. him driving around with, like the sunglasses at, at night, like that totally feels like that, and he, he just has a great look for that. Um, uh, but is this the this is the first time we see him as a bad guy? Um, that's, that's a neat little change of pace to see Definitely. him in that role. And he rocks it, like... Yeah, he makes so cool. a wrench turn red. 
It's true. I love him on that beach scene. I love when he he just always has a grin on his face. He doesn't care how much they like one up him and get the gun, and then he just dives into the ocean with all the confidence <laughs> in the world. Like he's just so cool in this. I love him. Yeah, and we get to see him without a shirt on, and it's pretty hot. Oh, I didn't remember that. When he's like uh in the guard role in in Mu, um, he's he's shirtless. Okay. Right? Kind of like me right now because it's 99 fucking degrees in this fucking attic thing I'm recording in and I'm going to die. But it's really just yeah. me trying to be like Harada. That's why I'm and wearing who, aviators too. Who can blame you? Yeah, no one can. I mean, they're not really aviators that he's wearing, but they're they're kind of like that. They're cool. God, he's cool. He's so cool. Okay. I love him so much. I, I want to look up... Do you know anything, like, besides these Honda films that he was ever in? I got nothing. Found of knowledge. Uh, yep. <laughs> okay, what about... I can't believe this is his name in the movie, because I feel like we never get his name. But Uoto Uno. It's U-O-T-O. Yeah, U-N-N-O. I don't remember that. I don't remember that at all. So he's I don't think just we referred do to as the name. journalist the whole time. And then it turns out he's a Mu agent, but I don't think they ever say the name in the in the translation we have. I don't think so because I think that name would stick out. I cannot believe he's the lead role in Rodan. Like he must be a pretty good actor because this is so different. Yeah, um, I mean, that beard really transforms things. Uh, I mean, he's fine. He's just so clearly up to something the whole time. Mm-hmm. And it's just, like, so over the top. He's in, like, a trench coat and sunglasses and the weird beard that I'm sure they had that beard so that we'd recognize him when he became a Moo again. Uh, the the weird, like, golf hat. And his role in the movie makes no sense. Like, he's somehow always there. And they're like, uh, oh, no, what are we going to do? We have to go check out the submarine or, or, or the base where, where uh, Jinjuji is. But if we just leave, he'll print the story. So we got to take him with us. Got to give him a plane <laughs> ride. It's like, no, you're the cops and shit. Like, you could just tell him that he can't print the story because it's classified and fucking arrest him if you need to. Like, why yeah. do you need to bring him with you? It's so stupid. I mean, not just the cops. Uh, also, the Navy and the Admiral and this whole thing is backed by the fucking UN and like <laughs> the entire governments of the world. <laughs> like they can easily just be like, uh, let's just have him killed. <laughs> like, I think okay. this is Honda being like, governments are stupid. All of them. Yeah. The whole time. This is how you know, because they let this guy come along. Fucking dumbasses. Yeah. Um, and that whole thing, like it's kind of betrays another kind of hole in the plot is that, Mu has, like, all these, like, secret agents that are all over the place. And yet they still... And they know about Atragon, but somehow they don't know... They think Japan knows everything about Atragon to the extent where they have, like, control over it being made. And, like, they're completely clueless about everything, despite the fact that they have all these insidious agents all over the place. Yeah. And it just... It's very it's, confusing. It's, maybe it's a cultural yeah. thing. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> All right, moving on. Jin, we never know how to say it, but Jinguji or Jinjuji, the uh, defector who was the leader of the defectors from the Japanese Navy who 
You've all seen the movie. I hope. What I mean, if not, I mean, the synopsis covered it. That's true, yeah. It's kind of a dick. Yeah, he's a dick, for sure. I thought the actor that played him was really good. You... Yes. You see with him this constant struggle where he's like... It's best portrayed like when he first meets with his daughter. They're like, oh, this is your daughter, Makoto. And you see him look at her and there's this emotion in his face like he wants to go to her and be like, oh, my daughter. And then he instantly kind of comes to terms with, I guess, who he is and he kind of like turns away and you don't get that emotional release because he has this uh, turmoil inside of him where he feels this constant duty to Japan and his nation and and playing up to that and uh, to the favor the relationship with his daughter over his duty to uh, defending his nation with uh, his incredible submarine would be a betrayal of uh, of Japan so he needs so yeah and he the actor like portrays it all so well it's kind of an emotional struggle that's going on within him and you kind of see that that throughout the the movie. Definitely. I mean, this to me, this is by far the best character in the movie. He's the most fleshed out, well written, and the best mm-hmm. acted. Like, you we hear about him for like forty minutes before he shows up, and then that first shot of him, he's silent at first, and the way he looks at his daughter and then looks right to the to um, Admiral Kosumi, like you're saying, like it's just you get so much from it. Mm-hmm. And he has such an arc compared to most characters in the movies yeah. that we've covered. He has such an arc and maybe it's a little bit of a superficial arc. We'll get to that, but, or maybe we'll get to that now. I mean, it, it does feel like he's set in his ways. He's, he believes that, uh, fighting on behalf of, of Japan's supremacy is his life's purpose and nothing, not family, Nothing is more important than that. And he's turned by his uh, a care for his daughter rather than maybe like an ideological shift. Um, mm. But to me, that's maybe just... It just feels like maybe that's an oversight for with how it's presented. Because that's not how I feel yeah. when I watch it. When I watch it, I do feel like he he realizes he was wrong. Even though maybe that's... Yeah. The evidence points the other way. Maybe we could say uh, his daughter being kidnapped was like a cold glass of water being thrown in his face. It kind of just mm. uh, snapped him into reality, I guess. Uh, it made him think about things, I guess, in a different way. I don't know. Maybe that's being uh, generous, but... That got me so excited I'm throwing cold water in my face because it's so fucking hot. Here we go. <laughs> oh, I forgot our glasses on. Oh, what a disaster. Um... Oh no! Story of my life. I can't tell if this is real or not. This is real. <laughs> oh damn it! Why can't I see it? No. From now on, we have to do video. I mean, we do video as often as we can. I just have shitty cell service here. Um. Oh my god! Now my glasses are all fucked up. I'm going glasses less. Okay. <laughs> Well, you don't need to see me, so it's okay. That's true. Uh, oh my god, I literally can't read the outline. I need to go back. 
I did have some other thoughts, but you completely <laughs> distracted me from. <laughs> um, you were talking about how it was a cold glass of water thrown on his face and maybe yeah. being generous, though. Yeah, because I mean, like you said, it is superficial. He he only cares about stopping the move once his daughter is kidnapped. Uh, but he does reference the line that's sorry. I always have to scroll up to see the characters' names because they're so bad at presenting them in the movie. That Susumu says where. Uh, he says, like, you're a ghost wearing old rusty armor uh-huh. and patriotism, and he does reference that, so that it's a little sign that he gets it. Yeah, I mean, I I genuinely do feel like he gets it, but I don't know if that's goodwill on my part, because the movie doesn't really give it to you, I guess. Like, sure. Like, I, I mean, I do, when I watch it, I do think he, he has... Uh, Words are hard. Yeah, um, he has progressed as a as a person in in the way that he's seeing things, but I don't think the movie necessarily successfully portrays that, and so maybe goodwill on my part in reading into it. Also, it's kind of funny that they're like, "We need you and Atragon to save the world," and he's like. No, my, me and Atricon are here to save Japan. It's like, Japan's asking you, dude. <laughs> yeah, it's like, Japan is part of the world that needs saving. <laughs> I don't know what you think is yeah. going on when we're talking about the world as a threat right now, but Japan I, is part of that. <laughs> yeah, on, on our first watch through, I definitely assumed that was just weird wording clunky wording in translation because mm-hmm. it definitely felt exactly like that like oh, i have i have this weapon that's to defend us cool we need defending uh the cause is great oh the cause is greater than japan no i won't help japan <laughs> like it's confusing <laughs> as hell um okay what about admiral kosumi the one telling him he needs him i don't really have much to say about him he actor did a good job and pretty low-key um yeah he was definitely oh he was in mothra which you don't have listed here Ooh, what did Um, he do in mothra he was like a a scientist who was like along with the expedition uh a a japanese scientist um pretty sure 99 percent sure you know what 98 percent okay can't remember. I was gonna, I was gonna do a ninety-eight degree song, but I can't remember what they did. It's okay. I don't think we need to spend this much time on Kosumi. It's, he's fine, right? Yeah, he's 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 whatever. He's a handsome actor. Um, I enjoy looking at him. And he, uh, what? I don't know. He's just like a normy old man to me. I don't. I don't know. I, there's something about his face that I find. I enjoy looking at him. It's funny um, because you, you, when we were watching it, you thought he was the bad guy from King Kong vs. Godzilla, who is a very strange-looking little man. You know what? Maybe you're a strange-looking little man. Ever thought about that? I am. You are. That's why you don't tell me my face is good to look at. Hey, your face might not be good to look at, but your neck sure is. Thank you. Neck holds up the face, as they always say. That's, uh, old folklore all right let's talk about uh the bastard detective ito 
Um, Boring. Yeah, he and he probably should not handle guns. Dude. He just... Yeah. I mean, I've never handled a gun, so maybe I'm speaking out of turn. No, you're not. Okay. There's five rules of firearm safety, and he breaks, like, two of them instantly. (laughs) Um... He, he he unfolds the murder weapon, or the, the weapon that's that's being held in evidence, and it's a handgun. He unfolds it from, like, a napkin or a cloth, and it has the bullets next to it. And it's like, maybe you unloaded it earlier. Maybe mm-hmm. you... Whatever. But, essentially, you you always assume a gun is loaded, and you never point a gun at anything that you're not willing to destroy. Those are two of the four or five, depending on who you ask, rules of handling firearms. And he doesn't check right then again to make sure that it's not loaded. And he points it directly at his face and looks into it. I don't know why you would do that unless you were trying to clean it. But he just points it directly into his eye. It's just so stupid, man. Rules. <laughs> yeah, besides that, his character is just whatever. Right? Yeah. Yeah, he's fine. It's nothing. Um, mm-hmm. He's just a bastard. Wait, he breaks another rule of firearms. You're never supposed. You're supposed to know where your target is and what's around it and behind it. But he's just pointing at his own head. He doesn't know what's behind it. <laughs> um, but he does. The first. The first rule is keep your finger off the trigger. He does do that. And the fifth rule. So just since we've done four of the five, is don't handle a weapon if you're in an altered state. Like having like you're 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 high or you're having a mental episode. So he he gets two yeah, of the five. Ken right. Russell. What'd you say? I said yeah, Ken Russell. I don't know what that means. It's uh, it's a really bad joke. That's not even a joke. It's just a really stupid reference. I'm just trying to ham in there. Um, mm. Altered States, Damn. the movie by Ken oh, it's Russell. been a while. I love that movie. Yeah, it was, it was directed by Ken Russell. Oh. You didn't like it when we watched it when we were, like, 20. Oh, it's terrible. Okay. But I like it for that. I mean, I we watched it when I was 20, and then I watched it, like, five more times when I was 20. Gotcha. Um, yeah, I I, uh, I need to rewatch it, because I'm very confused by that one. Because, yeah, it also reads as not good to me, but it's considered actually good, and... And Ken Russell is considered a great director, so like it is I don't fully an atrocious get it. movie. <laughs> yeah. Um. Okay. What about the High Priest of Moo? Uh. What were you calling him when we watched it? Um. What did I call him? I was so stoned. It was Grandpa Jesus. Jesus? I think it was Grandpa, Grandpa Jesus. Jesus. I think it was Grandpa Jesus. Yeah. Yeah, it's Grandpa Jesus. Next. <laughs> Uh, what about the Empress of Moo? Um, she's pretty sweet hair. Um, she's got she a good does. style. Yeah. Uh, but she's dedicated to her people. She's very dedicated. Um, I mean, yeah, it feels like she's not a character at all. She's super boring until the last scene. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, she wants to go back to her people. She obviously, it shows she cares and it gives some... It's like our first taste of 
Like, the Moo kind of remind me of the alien races in a lot of movies. For some reason, the first thing dropping in my mind is uh, Invasion of Astro Monster, where they just feel like cold, calculating, almost robots. Mm -hmm. And they kind of felt like that in this. They're just so... They just don't show emotion, really, and they're all on yeah. uh, on the... On the uh, Whatever the mission is, that's what they're doing. Um, but that scene at the end really shows suddenly, like, oh, she really cares for her people. She's willing to die for her civilization. Like, she can't imagine life without them. Um, so that, I mean, that's something, you know? Yeah, um, yeah, it really makes you wish that there was more to her and there is more of her in the movie because you're like, oh, shit, there, yeah, there is something more to her. But we don't see it until the last two minutes of the movie. Um um, and also you want to see more because she's visually striking. I don't just mean, I mean, she is attractive, but I just, she's, uh, she's, she's got cool hair. She's got cool style. Like, yeah. Um, it's, uh, yeah, it's visually what, appealing. What, so you wish there's more. What would you think about how the Moo were portrayed in general? It's kind of neat. Um, I think in the commentary i think the assistant director said like oh we are inspired by like all these ancient cultures but it's really just egypt right it feels very egyptian i think there's it's it's not like directly egyptian but that's clearly the the big thing you know yeah um and i i like that i mean it it looks fantastic the egyptians uh you know they sure looked fantastic, those Egyptians. Totally. It's interesting that the cast of the Moo is like a mix of... Well, first of all, I should say it's nice that I don't think there's blackface, so thank God yeah. we're, we're there. Um, I can't believe the bar is low, man. It's a tripping hazard bar right now. Um, but it's interesting that the cast of the Moo are a mix of like Japanese and Caucasian, I believe. Lots of white people with colored hair kind of reminds me of Hunger Games, um, but also lots of Japanese folks, and it's just kind of interesting. I'm not sure what that's saying, but that's what they chose, and it's, not- yeah. it's noticeable, notable. And we, sh- we should point out that you say the bar is low as a tripping hazard. I really miss tripping, so I don't. I don't think I'd see that as much of a hazard. Nice. Do you have any honorable mentions? Any other characters that are like side characters that stood out to you? We just mentioned like 20 fucking characters. All right, I have one. (laughs) Okay. When they get the package from the Moo, they're in this like office and they're like, should we open it? And then suddenly out of nowhere, a bomb expert appears (laughs) and he's like, I'll take care of this. And then he doesn't tell anyone to leave. He's not wearing special equipment, and he just unwraps it like anyone would. <laughs> yeah, um, that did that did stick out to me. Uh, I don't think he appeared out of nowhere. I think he came in with the guy that had the package. Mm. I feel like we saw that, but yeah, I was like, "Am I? Am I, this is one of those moments where I just have such a low self confidence and negative opinion about myself. I just feel like." I'm the stupid one who's just completely unaware of, like, how things actually are. So I'm just like, that's so 
obviously stupid. I must be stupid and just not know that it's not obviously that stupid. It's hard to say which one of us is right, but I think it's just <laughs> dumb as hell. Yeah, I mean, probably. <laughs> I, I'm glad to have that backup. Like, <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm not so stupid. Totally. All right, um... Let's move on to talking about, like, the effects of the movie, scenes with effects or cool sets, monsters, that kind of thing. Sound good? Mm-hmm. Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about is the Atragon submarine slash ship slash weapon, um, also known as the Goat and Go. Okay, so on Twitter, I asked if anyone... We're, I was like, we're going to record about Atragon today. Does anyone have any things they'd like us to talk about? And one of our followers, um, at grave underscore robbing, but with an X instead of an O, they mentioned that it would be cool if we looked into post-World War II Japanese weapon development. So I tried to do that, but I couldn't find anything, and I didn't have much time. But it actually led me down a kind of uh, rabbit hole, and... Ah! I see what you mean. I know. There. I tried to use a different word and I couldn't come up with anything. Um, hey, next time do a gopher hole. Oh, okay. It let me down a gopher hole. And I found an interesting set of articles about. Um, th- there's a lot of stuff about like secret weapons that Japan was developing during World War II, which is kind of like the background of Atragon in the movie, right? Mm hmm. Um, so. If you're cool with it, I kind of wanted to go into a few of these. I feel like we've we've talked so much, like, in the Godzilla episode about gnarly things that the U.S. was doing. Um, these are kind of just, like, wild and interesting. I mean, kind of heavy. But I just want to highlight a few of them, if if you're cool with that. Hey, call me Cucumber Bob. Sweet. So, mostly I am getting this Call from... me Cucumber Bob. Hey, Cucumber Bob. I'm mostly getting these facts from the article from Gizmodo called 11 Secret Weapons Developed by Japan During World War II by George Dvorsky. Okay, so one of these that hits close to home, pun intended, is the Fugo balloon bombs. So basically Japan was dealing with countries, like fighting countries that had intercontinental missiles and they couldn't develop their own intercontinental missiles. Um, So they were trying to figure out how to basically bomb intercontinentally without missiles. And so what they figured out were balloon bombs. So they attached incendiary bombs to balloons, which traveled 5,000 miles on the jet streams in the air towards the U.S. The intention was to have the devices explode over the forested regions of the Pacific Northwest and start forest fires that would divert precious U.S. manpower fucking wild like literally i've spent all morning today early in the morning doing shit and yesterday like prepping for the inevitable hellscape of fires we're gonna deal with here in the pacific northwest and they were like trying to cause that back in the 40s it's so crazy the balloons were pretty crazy i didn't write all of it down but like they they had these sensors on them so like if they got too high they would like shoot off hydrogen or something and if they got too low they would drop sandbags and get all the way here um the first ones if hydrogen was shot off every time i got too high i don't think i i don't think there'd be any oxygen left in the atmosphere go on nice dude nice 
Man, I can't believe I don't have a nitrous oxide balloon just to, you know, every time we talk about balloons, I'm supposed to stay consistent. Um, yeah, you're good at lighting the podcast down. Yeah, totally. Um, the real reason is you're not supposed to do it every week because of health reasons, but, you know, next week. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm not supposed to drink all the time for health reasons. <laughs> Same. But uh, who's so a rebel? <laughs> the, the first balloons were launched in 1944. And the first ones landed in the U.S. on November 5th in San Pedro, California. Um, Been there. By the following day, they'd lived, uh, they'd landed as far away as Wyoming. Some landed in Canada. 285 of these incendiary bomb balloons uh, were confirmed to land in North America. One of the gnarliest ones was on March 5th, 1945, six Americans, a minister and five children, were killed by one of the grounded balloons in Oregon. They were attempting to pull it through the forest back to their camp because they didn't know what it was, and they fucking died. Um, and one of the craziest things about this is that the U.S. knew this was happening, but they completely hid it so that Japan wouldn't know that their bombs were working. So they didn't tell Americans huh. these were happening because they didn't want Japan to, like, know it was working and keep doing it. Fucking crazy. Yeah, it's nuts. I wish I could remember, there was some weapon that the U.S. was experimenting with at one time where, I can't remember, it had to do with, like, dropping bats in somewhere, and then, like, the bats would cause fires somehow. God damn it, I wish I could remember, but... You're thinking of Batman. Oh, yeah, Batman loves fire. Bat bombs are an experimental World War II weapon developed by the United States. The bomb consisted of a bomb-shaped casing... Over a thousand compartments, each containing a hibernating Mexican free-tailed bat with a small-timed incendiary bomb attached. Dropped from a bomber at dawn, the casings would deploy a parachute in mid-flight and open to release the bats, which would then disperse and roost in eaves and attics in a 20-40 to 40 mile radius. The incendiaries, which were set on timers, would then ignite and start fires in inaccessible places in the largely wood and paper constructions of the Japanese cities that where the weapons intend to target. Wait, I'm um, that's that's fucking wild. But wait, I'm so confused. How did the bats create fire? I missed. Um, blah, blah, blah. the bomb consisted of a bomb-shaped casing with over a thousand compartments, each containing a hibernating Mexican free-tailed bat. With a the there was an incendiary bomb attached to the bat. Oh my god. Um, the bats it was dropped at dawn, so the bats would go try to find a dark place. Holy shit. And then shit. the incendiary bomb would go off. That's crazy. Holy if shit. If I remember correctly, I don't think... I'm not going to read through all this article. I don't think it was like a very successful weapon, though. Um, it doesn't sound be, like it would be. I could be misremembering. But that's what you just made me think of. Holy uh, shit. That's super cool. I'm glad you shared that. Fucking wild. Um, fucking Batra, dude. Probably would have inspired Batra. <laughs> Probably. Um... Okay, so another one is the um, Sentoku-class Mega Submarine, which is one, I believe, of the I-400 series submarines. But this just had some info on it that I thought was really relevant and kind of cool. So Japan managed to build three of these uh, subs, which I'm believing, I believe are the 400, 401, and 402 that we talked about. Um, they held the record for the largest conventionally powered submarines ever built. Um, oh, they still do. And... 
uh, one of the crazy things about it is that, I mean, they were designed to destroy or attack the Panama Canal. They were equipped with three Aichi M6A1 airplanes, which could carry a torpedo or up to 1,763 pounds of bombs. So basically, there was a hangar on the submarines, and the submarines would launch out of, uh, like, they, they would surface, and then within 45 minutes of surfacing, they could launch a plane from the submarine, which is just so crazy. Whoa. Holy shit. Um, there was a bunch that were on these articles that, like, failed, like, that they didn't, I mean, that... There's just so many, like, fucking crazy, like, bubonic plague spreading bioweapons and shit. But one of the ones that... Oh, and, and uh, uh, a death ray that didn't work. They said, like, it could kill a rabbit at a thousand feet or yards or something, but only if the rabbit sat still for five minutes. Ooh, I need one of those. Um, they also tried to make flying tanks. Um, and they did. Uh, light they did? tanks that featured detachable wings... Empennage, I don't know how to pronounce that, empennage, uh, stabilizing surfaces of at the tail end of the aircraft and takeoff carriages. Um, the tracks of the tank would, would not survive a landing, so they had detachable skis onto the bottom, so when they landed, they could use that and then get rid of them. Once detached from an aircraft, like the Mitsubishi K-121 Sally Heavy Bomber, whoa, Mitsubishi being evil again. Listen to Godzilla yep. Raids again for more on that. Uh, this is uh, Toyota. Toyota's the official... <laughs> Car sponsor of No Gods and Monsters. Go on. Um, then it would coast to its destination like a glider, land, and then it would become an armored ground vehicle. Pretty crazy. Because uh, the reason they were doing that is there's so many islands, they couldn't figure out how to use tanks effectively because they had to get from island uh-huh. to island. So they tried to make flying tanks, and they did, but they weren't effective enough to use them a lot. Yeah, so like I hear that, and... It sounds so crazy to me that I'm just going to say, I'm just going to assume I completely misheard you and you did not say flying tanks and you said something completely different. Go on. Flying tanks. I saw pictures. It's crazy. Last but not least. So, you know, the suits that the Moo wear in this movie, like these weird, like watertight suits that look like duct taped scales with like a, a face screen you could never see out of, you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Really fucking. Yeah. Weird. So... There were these suits that were uh, in development in Japan, and it's contested or debated whether they were used or not, called Fukuri Suicide Attack Suits. These were special dive suits that were designed for the Japanese special attack units to fend off an invasion of the home islands by Allied forces. The suits were armed with mines containing 33 pounds of explosives attached to a 16-foot bamboo pole. The divers were weighed down by 20 pounds of lead. They would walk underwater for as much as six hours. Hey, remember the movie Underwater? Go back to that one if you want more info on this. At depths of 16 to 23 feet. The divers, upon reaching the hull of an enemy ship, would just detonate the explosives, killing themselves. Basically suicide bombers went underwater. It is not known if the suit was ever used in combat, but there were accounts of the U.S. infantry landing craft and then a surveyor ship being attacked by suiciding swimmers. Holy Um, shit. So it's possible they were used. And I didn't put these on there, but there were tons of suicide aircraft, like aircraft specifically made for kamikaze pilots that were also created. Anyway, fucking wild. And I'm sure Atragon was was kind of playing in to this this stuff because it's a just crazy 
weapon that no one would think would be real, just like all of these that was made during World War Two. you know? Yeah, I was worried you were going to go into some Unit 371 shit, so I'm glad you did not. I don't know what that means. It was like, uh, I don't want to say Japanese equivalent of the, um, of the, uh, Holocaust camps, the concentration camps, oh. but it was, it was like, uh, it was a place where they brought, like, prisoners of war and stuff into medical tests on to, like, uh, the scientific tests to figure out shit. So, like, specifically when you're talking about, like, the bubonic plague stuff, that made me think that that could be something totally. that maybe they were trying to develop there. I also uh, read some stuff about the Japanese, uh, who were working on their own nuclear weapons but you know that wasn't as fun so i decided not to go into it it wasn't as crazy um yeah so now that we've gone into all that why don't we talk about the goat and go the atragon itself it's a fucking crazy ass weapon yeah it's uh it's pretty gnarly that shit can fly it can drill it can freeze it can uh move on land it can go super deep underwater where other subs can be will be crushed by the pressure and it's kind of wild it has a giant drill and saw blades coming out of it (laughs) yeah and when it's faced off against like a living god it just immediately dispatches of it to the point where you're like oh that that uh godlike creature is uh was nothing (laughs) yeah totally gods are nothing compared to machines as we all know Mm -hmm. um no gods all machines yep 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 no luddites allowed um Mm -hmm. it's funny to me that it has a cold air cannon like what a weird choice for such a destructive intent yeah so I, I read the stats of this, and they don't make much sense to me, but I'm going to read them to you. It's a giant atomic-powered super submarine, 150 meters long, 10,000 tons, capable of speeds of Mach 2 in the air, 80 knots on the surface of the sea, 50 knots underwater, 186 miles per hour on land, and 12.5 miles per hour underground. I don't understand how it's on land at all, much less 186 miles per hour, but that's Kind of funny and interesting. Wait, wh- where did you get these stats from? Mushroom clouds like... and mushroom men, my friend. Okay. I thought you were going to be like Godzilla Godzillafax.angelcloudfire.com. Yeah, but... I, I checked there and they only had half the stats, so I had to go deeper. I mean, that's where I get a lot of my info, which I'm sure you've noticed. Um, I really like the inside of it when they finally show you that. It's it's super detailed, and it just looks really cool. It's like a really well-made set. Wait, where did Peter Brothers, no disrespect, but where did he get that info? Like, that's just so... Peter Brothers doesn't cite his sources, so... Okay. I couldn't tell you. It seems made up to me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty cool... Pretty cool little doohickey that came up with there. That, uh, that Junguji, like, Japan really fucked up by making him a naval captain and not uh, a naval engineer because if they put his mind to developing uh, 
vehicles instead of commanding vehicles, they probably would have won the war. Yeah, 100%. I don't know why, but I get kind of like a weird Tim Burton vibe from the Astrogod. <laughs> I can definitely see that, how you point that out. Like, it didn't occur to me till just now. <laughs> yeah, it's... Uh... I mean, it kind of reminds me of the sandworms from Beetlejuice, I think. Okay, I can see that. I was just thinking of, like, uh, the intro to... What's the guy... The weird guy with the bike? The guy with the bike. The guy with the bike? Oh. Oh, my God. Pee Wee Herman. Pee Wee Herman, yeah. When you say that, it kind of makes me think of uh, the Ruth Goldberg... uh, contraption at the beginning of his movie where it's yeah. just like all this just all this crazy shit all just in one thing but totally. yes i could i, I, I think it's rube goldberg but yeah i got you yes okay but i am more about women so i i make it ruth i don't know what that means um <laughs> one thing i have to say this movie i don't know what it's rated but i feel like there was an oversight from the ratings board because the scenes of Atragon drilling, very sexual. <laughs> it definitely made me think of uh, the Hitchcock uh, train in the um, uh, mountain, the tunnel, whatever. I don't, I don't know about that. It's been a while since I've watched a Hitchcock. I mean, it's a famous thing like, where it's just sexual innuendo, where there's like a, a couple like hitting on each other or something on a train and then it cuts to an mm. overshot of the train and it's going into a tunnel gotcha and yeah um it, it, but yeah this definitely made me think of that with the drilling for sure um anything else about the uh the sub slash post slash bus mariner the marine the the thing that does it all itself i'm not sure what he just said there but no anything else about atragon <laughs> no i don't think so cool okay let's talk about manda also known as atragon uh i don't i don't know if there is anything to say about manda dude it's so bad like I... my first time seeing manda was in destroy all monsters and it's just like there's there's three screens happening at once and you have i can't remember who the monster but it's like Like, one kaiju destroying buildings, another one, like, breathing fire, and then Manda is just, like, wrapping its puppet body around, like, a monorail track, and it's just like, (laughs) what, what is this thing? And this is even worse than that. Like, that looks so cool compared to this. Is, uh, Manda on land on that? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. But, I mean, Um, it's just so obviously a puppet on shitty strings in the water. Yeah, it's, uh... He definitely is a subpar kaiju. Um, it's not like Varan, who's looks fucking awesome, but he's just kind of in this uh, forgotten movie. This is just kind of deserves to be forgotten, and it sucks because I think the concept of him is cool, but they really did not. I guess it's because he wasn't a major part of the movie because they did not uh, divert a big part of the budget to him, and he just kind of. He looks ridiculous. He's got some cute, goofy eyes. He's got some cute, uh, goofy T-Rex arms. <laughs> yeah, his arms are so useless. 
And, like, not a major part of the movie, except that the Japanese movie is literally named after him. For sure, but still, in the movie itself, like, we're given no... It's just a flailing puppet. It's terrible. Yeah, we're given... But even entrenching yourself in the, 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 the mindset of the movie, it's like we're given nothing to show that this, this creature is in any way powerful or destructive or scary. We're only just supposed to assume that because it's this big monster and that it's just they, the sacri- they sacrifice people to it. So therefore, yeah. but we ne- we're not shown anything like the, we, when it comes to, comes out it's like just squirms around like an eel roaring and then it actually attacks atragon at one point by trying to anaconda strangle it but then atragon is just like yeah i'm gonna electrocute your ass and then freeze your ass and just completely dispatches it no problem no problem it's it's very weird another thing it's bullshit let's say it's bullshit (laughs) another thing when we first see manda uh, it's when Sumu and Makoto, 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 yeah, when they open the window so you can see in the jail that what they'll be sacrificed to if the if the people don't do what they want. Yeah, first of all, confusing because jail cells cells should not have giant windows. Um, uh, hey, it's a cultural difference. Okay. Uh. I mean, you know what? I, t- I don't mean you can edit that out. I don't mean jail cells shouldn't have them. No, they should I... have windows. But you know, if you're the if you're the empire, you wouldn't want them to. Yes, exactly. <laughs> so that seemed very weird to me. Also, yeah, they open up the window and Manda's just chilling right there, and like they expected to be chilling right there. So it's like, does Manda always chill just like right there, right outside the palace? Well, well, to me, that makes kind of sense because it's in this weird rock cage that they have to that the Empress has to blow open for it to get out. So it must be just trapped in this confined area. Oh, okay. So that was the next part. I see. Which I was not putting that together. The um, book I read said it made no sense because he's in the water and then he's blown out of a rock. But in my mind, it was just like, oh, the rock was hollowed out. It's inside it, and they blow okay. it open to let it out. I was going to repeat what what your book said. Um, because I was brothers, man. It's like brothers. It's yeah, like brothers. Like brothers. Yep, I call him Pete for short. Oh, that's so sweet. You two have such a nice mm-hmm. thing. But yeah, that that's exactly what I was gonna say. It's super weird. We see him just chilling outside, and then later, well, first of all, yeah, it it's also just weird that they would just have a butt. They have. So what happens that's, is she. That's what I was there's say. just three buttons sitting there. In an and, elevator or uh, something? Like, yeah. <laughs> and she you just hit like, one button pushes... and a giant monster escapes. Yeah, it blows open this rock and then the Manda shoots out from it. Seems very, uh, very dangerous. Just have that, that yeah. button just sitting there on the wall. <laughs> totally, totally. Um, okay, um, what did you think about the, the Moo's weird powers? I was confused <laughs> so they're hot we know this they're hot they make steam in the water they can turn wrenches red it's hot to grab them but isn't there also like a weird electricity moment when he's like when uh alan ginsburg and abraham lincoln's son is choking susumu and then it's like mm. these like ele- 
electricity comes out, like Kong and God and King yeah, Kong Godzilla. It, it's also I think they also choke Makoto in the same scene. Makoto, okay. Makoto. But I, uh, uh, M- Makoto, but I, I didn't Makoto. think that there was electricity when she got choked. I'm pretty sure there was. Okay. I think it was with both of them. Yeah, and there's no explanation. It's super weird. But yes, there's like, all of a sudden, there's like an electric shock through their face. This kind of white light that just shoots through their face. Yeah, what? No explanation for it at all. I have no idea. And even with the heat... I'm still confused by it because in like some aspects it seems like they have control over it, but then other times like it they don't have control over it. I mean, even just the the people in the water. Sometimes you see steam rising up from them, but sometimes you don't. Oh yeah. Um. So it's like this. This I I don't understand that at all. And then yeah, I feel like sometimes they're touching people and it's hot, but then I feel like sometimes it's not. Maybe I'm misremembering that no i mean i assumed it was a power they could turn on because i felt like there were lots of times where it wasn't but but, but then, then why would they case, steam why would they steam that, to get yeah why would they steam why, like they just want to appear scary i yeah that's confusing um, there is a scene where the military in the darkness is all preparing in the city for this imminent destruction and before the city is destroyed steam just shoots out of the sewers and the military just runs. Like, they're preparing for an attack from a civilization, and as soon as hot water vapor is shot out, they all just flee. So maybe in <laughs> this universe, steam is really scary. Um, well, that scene also confused me. Because at this point, the Mu have taken down multiple large metropolises. And we cut to them. At, was it Tokyo or? I don't remember. I, I think it might have been Tokyo. But anyways, there's a city where the military is there to defend themselves from the Mu, and they're all looking around in the sky, just like, "Where is it coming from? Where's it come? Where where are they going? Where's the attack coming?" And then all of a sudden, like, comes up from beneath the city, and they're all like, "Oh, what the fuck? Oh, who would have expected this?" But. If they've already taken down multiple cities, they would have an idea of how they're going to The other attack. cities were taken out from the sky. We saw the, like, UFO bird-looking things go out, and then the cities were destroyed. We just saw newspaper clippings, but we know those UFO things flew out. We saw them take out a truck, take out a ship, and then all of a sudden the city was destroyed. So we just assume it was from the sky. So maybe they just had different tactics. That's I didn't assume that, but okay. That's my guess. I don't know. You might be right. Either way, they clearly didn't think out much of that scene. Yeah. They're just like, oh, no, steam, run! Don't get me wrong. I saw I saw the UFOs when they attacked like the specific ships and stuff like that. But with the newspaper clippings of the whole cities being destroyed, I, I assumed it was mm, more along the lines right. of... Yeah, you might be right. I just yeah. assumed because it was right after that, but I don't know. For sure. Um... Well, since we're talking about it, let's talk talk about the effects and 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 stuff of the destruction caused by the move. So, we already talked about some of it. Um, the 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 truck and the ship. Um, that city destruction scene is is probably the craziest effect in the movie. It's just like boom, it's gone. Yeah, uh, it's very interesting compared to like some of the, a lot of the other city destruction scenes we've seen in these movies, where it's just like goes on for so long and you see like all this 
stuff happening and the then fighting back against the the kaiju and yeah. it's just like a whole scene and this just kind of like happens like immediately and it barely lasts any time at all <laughs> do you um so there's actually a reason for that i mean it was never going to be as long as like rodan or godzilla but so Subaraya had a plan for he built this crazy city using some leftover parts from i believe the behemoth or some other movie um but then building this whole city and it was on this set of like struts that were supposed to be taken out as a truck a stunt driver in a truck slowly went through taking out piece by piece so it'd be rolling destruction like an earthquake and Subaraya said this was going to be his masterpiece he he brought um studio top level executives to watch this happen because it was supposed to be his huh. masterpiece and because of that the driver got so nervous he slammed on the gas and it all got destroyed at once oh my god yeah, and so Subaraya just, like, froze and freaked out, and then he was like, it's okay, we'll fix it in post, because, you know, that's Subaraya. And so that's why, if you watch it, it's like, shot, and then switches angles, shot, switches angles, and it's like it's trying to, sh he's trying to make it seem like it's happening one at a time, but when you watch it, it just feels like it's all happening at once, and you're seeing different angles at the same yeah. time. Like, it really ruined it. Like, that guy fucked it up so hard. <laughs> I mean... It looks cool. Yeah, the destruction we do see looks really cool. It's just in such contrast to what we've seen before. It's also interesting. It's just like everything just kind of implodes and we're yeah. not really shown why exactly. Yes. Yeah, it's a very unique way of showing that destruction. The way all of a sudden, yeah, everything just implodes out of nowhere. We're not shown exactly what the cause is. And when we were um, watching it, it caught us off guard. It was just like, whoa! Holy shit. <laughs> yeah. Um, which, I, I mean, I, I really appreciate. I mean, we've seen all these movies where everything's in your face, external. You see this kind of battle between it and uh, between the forces of humans and the forces of the kaiju. And then we're seeing this where it's the human saying they're at the ready. And then all of a sudden, everything... Yeah. Is fucking destroyed and we don't know what the cause is what exactly it's it's uh yeah i mean i've said it a few times it's it's unique i totally I, um totally. i do want to point out though it's so weird how they present the destruction early on when the moo are first i first know come out of their hole where it's so dumb they give us a scene where boat is destroyed by the moo and they they do it like a full-blown scene like oh look what the moo are capable of and the boat catches is is, is catches on fire and it's this horrific scene and then that cuts to just newspaper clippings of really shitty photographs of major cities and it's like venice destroyed Hong Kong demolished. Hong Kong in have, ruins. Yeah. Yeah, Hong Kong in ruins. And we're given nothing to view besides these these newspaper clippings. I got to say, that, that caught you and me when we were watching it off guard way more than the, watching the city be demolished. We were just like, wait, what? Yeah, it's so fucking... It's such a weird decision. And it's definitely a rushed production of three months total decision. Yeah, that's... Uh, in my opinion, probably the worst part of the movie in yeah. terms of just 
uh yeah overall execution and a hundred percent taking you out of it and all that stuff um yeah totally one last mood destruction part i thought was cool was the um the ship with like that weird serpent laser destroying oh, yeah, all that was, the ships that was amazing that was sweet as hell it looked um, so good the laser was really cool and unique looking and then the explosions were just like phenomenal yeah, and you, you also, you get a sense of, like, the power of this civilization, but then it also yeah. makes you question, well, they knew Atrican wasn't built yet, why couldn't they just rolled all this shit out earlier and just <laughs> taken over before Atrican was built? Don't think about it. Sorry. Don't think about it. Okay, Sorry. what about Mu itself blowing up? Man, that was a whole-ass genocide, huh? It was a whole-ass <laughs> genocide. Based on the decisions, presumably, of leaders, because it was an empire. And it yeah. goes on for a long time. And it's really beautiful. It's really cool it, explosions, but it's like, it holy is fuck. It is super huge explosions. Um, for so long. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah, and the explosions look really cool when you're, like, looking over the ocean. It's uh, these huge red explosions, and they, they reflect off the water, and it's just... Uh, Really cool look overall. So other sets uh, and like miniatures and shit. The Mu civilization. I mean, we don't see a ton of it. We see that one room they're always dancing in. We see the cells, and then we see like the first shots early on when they're talking about it, like on the film. I think, and to me, those were the coolest part. I mean, I wish they had people in them. Um, they're very mm-hmm. empty, but they look super cool. What do you think? Yeah, I I was like, shit, I want to. I want to live in Mu. Like when, yeah. you, when you think about futuristic societies, that that looks like a pretty fucking awesome. That looks cool as hell. I'd I'd go there. Hey, like Elon a... Musk, get on it. God damn it! It was like a sci-fi Mister Rogers neighborhood. You had like the the, the <laughs> space or the the space the underwater buses going back and forth, but there was no one around. I don't know. Yeah. Kind of funny. Uh, I know that Honda was apparently upset that Subaraya hadn't like populated it; that it looked so like like there was no one lived there. Which kind of did give it a more, I guess, cold futuristic yes. vibe. Whether or not that was intended, but sure. Yeah. What about that rock and dance scene? Yeah, I uh, I enjoy all these dance scenes in these movies. Uh, but I feel like this one was the worst that we've seen so far. And I still really enjoyed it and liked it. But first of all, a lot of the dancing was out of sync. When we watched together, you're laughing a lot and pointing that out. Um, and I agree. Uh, also, the music in it just wasn't as, I guess, kind of catchy as the as it usually is in these For scenes. Sure. Maybe it's because there was less vocals in the music, but um, it felt more like they were dancing to uh, not like a not like a ritualistic song, I guess, sure. which is usually what we're presented with. That's interesting because I agree with you on all those points. I also think it was too long. But I think this is my favorite dancing scene from all the movies we've watched. Really? Because wow. it 
does something for the story. Most of them, I feel like, are like, look at these people, and that's it. And this one, you had the dance, and then uh, Susumu and... Oh my god, I'm going to have to look it up again. Makoto... Where am I? Uh walk into the center of it and they're surrounded and it kind of it kind of like is demonstrating through this choreography how overwhelmed and isolated these two people are like they're surrounding them they're singing these incomprehensible things it's this they look totally different from them so it like to me it adds to the emotional weight of what they're going through in a really cool way even though it's lacking in like the music and choreography department if that makes sense uh i can see that for sure um but yeah i mean the reason why i always love these scenes in these movies isn't for story-wise just because i yeah just fucking love to jam out with it and i just i want to put up the song on repeat and i just i i love the whole vibe outside of the story purpose i guess is usually why i'm into these and this doesn't deliver as strongly as they usually do on that front totally totally and i hate vibes so that's how yeah yep yes you do um what did you think of the island that the um that jinju jinguji's uh men and base and atragon were on um yeah they point out when they first get to it like oh shit this isn't a small island this is a huge island yeah. And they really kind of uh, drive that home immediately because they yeah. arrive on the coast and it's like this kind of like tropical coast. And then the next shot, you... it's like a swamp and then suddenly they're in a fucking yeah. desert. Yeah. And then all of a sudden they're on like this huge fucking desolate desert. Yeah. And then they go from that to just like this, this fucking forest. Yeah. <laughs> like you really get an idea like, oh, damn, it is super huge, huh? Yeah. Um, totally. Uh, besides that, uh, they have some matte paintings that look really, really gorgeous. I, I love the matte paintings they use in that, in that scene. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I, I, I liked the swamp. I liked the sand, but they were funny in contrast. It was strange to mm-hmm. like have it. No character note that nobody was like, yeah. Oh wow! Suddenly we're on a sand <laughs> dune. They're just like, here we go and walking. Um, yeah, I'm also not really sure what the point of that was that yeah where they're like oh wow this is super huge and then we'll show through visuals how huge it is but there's no real reasoning for any yeah. of that i guess but that's true it's interesting i, I mean they were both cool. pretty shots though yeah um, i mean i i liked it it's just there's no kind of real practical reasoning for it i don't think it, it was funny in the swamp when the the like the guide ano is like in the front of the canoe and they're all canoeing and then he's like he just gets out and is like, this is where we stop. And he's like ankle deep in water. And he's <laughs> like, why are they canoeing? This is like a puddle. <laughs> yeah, that passed by. <laughs> That's funny. Um. Okay, weird effect, but there's, I don't even know why, but there's suddenly a quick shot of a satellite in space. Mm. And it's yeah, really no. cool. Uh, do you not know what you say you don't know why i don't remember why yeah so this is the presented the admiral is presented with the film from agent 23 
um, they watch the film, which is the movie saying, give us Atragon or we'll uh, fuck your shit up. And and then they present that to the UN. And then there's a thing where they, they say, oh, the UN took 10 minutes to consider it. And then they they were all skeptical and ignored it. Yeah. And then then you see the the ship destroyed and the cities just dist- and the headline clippings of the cities destroyed. Sorry, I went into way too much description. Yeah, I don't need the background. Um, just which part of the movie yeah, we all sorry. watched. <laughs> but then it goes, you know what? Go fuck yourself. Uh, <laughs> then it goes into, it says, and then the UN put together a, a headquarters to fight back against it. And then it cuts to that satellite up in the sky. So Whoa. apparently the UN put together this fucking space station to no. monitor this this undersea threat it's like, it must have why? been just transmitting the message about that but it was like i because they say the, the text was something like and then the un created like a headquarters to deal with the problem and that's overlaid the shot of them the space station i think you see ships actually like entering the satellite space station or whatever that's the and most confusing s- thing because it's never mentioned again yeah and then you see like a perspective i think you see a pers- perspective from the inside for like uh, what 20 seconds or something holy shit i think so of them like maneuvering controls and shit and then yeah they never mention it again i think we had two different translations <laughs> uh dope <laughs> <laughs> We're not allowed to, so... It's true, sorry, my bad, my bad. My rule, my bad. Um, yeah. That's a trip. I don't get why they did that if they did that. That's so strange. So weird, yeah. Another interesting effect is the American submarine exploding. Yeah, fuck that red Satan. Or imploding. Yeah, what the hell of a name? Red Satan for the <laughs> yeah. American nuke sub. That's so funny. It's so obvious. <laughs> I I'm surprised it wasn't a communist sub, but uh, if this was an American movie, it probably would have been. <laughs> oh, 100 percent. But yeah, I, the the Americans on board are pretty calm. Like, oh no, mm-hmm. we should keep going this way, considering they are following an ancient enemy that has just destroyed two cities in a millisecond. <laughs> <laughs> They're just like, oh, let's keep going. Oh, if we go this pressure, we're gonna die. Oh, let's just keep going. Poof, they die. Fucking crazy. That's. It looks That's cool, how though. brave American soldiers are. <laughs> Don't forget it. It's true. Uh, bravery is just stupidity squared. <laughs> um, I I thought it actually looked pretty cool though. The the submarine like they did shots of it like indenting, like getting sucked into itself and then oh, yeah. it exploded. That was cool as fuck. Yeah, like they also showed like first I think didn't they show like um. From the inside, like, the walls, like, cracking. Uh, oh, I think so. Yeah, I think they had a couple shots of that, and then it cuts to the outside, and you see it start to kind of implode, and then they show it explode. Um, that was really cool. A lot of detail. They didn't need that much. Like, literally, destruction of yeah. two cities, newspaper headlines. Destruction of American <laughs> yeah. submarine, like, hella detail. Inside, outside, all of it. Yeah, it, it looked awesome, though. It's it a very unique... Um, effect too that we don't we don't really see is like the 100%. yeah having having the thing implode it was it was very I, I that was one of my 
favorite special effects parts of the movie. Yeah, it was really cool looking. It was really cool looking. And plus it was American, so you need a little cherry on top. Last thing I have for effects and stuff is that the Japanese freeze guns are fucking brutality. Yeah, they are. Uh, so it goes from the newspaper clippings. It says the UN sets up a United Defense headquarters to cope with the emergency and showing boats and stuff. And then it cuts to the shot of the satellite. And it shuts, cuts to another shot of the satellite. And you can see, like, a ship flying. And then it shows, like, people in front of radars and computers and maneuvering stuff. And then it says we have trouble in a B block. Um, orders are sent to the Red Satan. And then it cuts to shots of the submarine. And Whoa. I think that's all we see from it. There's never go back to it at all yeah. in any way. A space station. That's before yeah. there was a space station ever. Like, what the fuck's going on? <laughs> I don't know. It's so weird. I, I, that's why I felt like it was just like a satellite that was like the people we were seeing uh, who weren't like... The people we were seeing behind like things i assume they were in different buildings like getting the transmissions that were being passed through that satellite around the world because yeah the UN. yeah i mean maybe i'm completely reading it wrong but that's how it's read to me every time i watched it all right should we move on to our weekly what, dumb what, cop award what would what were you just saying before that oh we were talking about the freeze gun sorry oh, and i cut you off sorry no you're good uh those japanese freeze guns were brutality yeah i uh they were definitely brutality. I also really liked them. I could see why. So it, it doesn't look convincing, or in terms of the special effects, it doesn't look convincing or necessarily great, but I thought it still looked really cool, and I really enjoyed the look of them being frozen. Yeah. And, and I it, don't know if that was just me. I thought they were cool. I thought it was really interesting the way they looked frozen. It almost looked like hand illustrated, but it like fit. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know how they did it, but also it kind of added to like, I mean, me thinking about the freeze guns makes me like add some like possible legitimacy to the point of there being a space, space station. Cause like why freeze guns? This is a Japanese military. They could easily use assault <laughs> rifles on these people and be over, but they use freeze guns. Like why? I mean, probably cause yeah. they're trying to tone it down for kids and shit, but also like, what a strange choice. Well, if this was a force coming from the uh, from Atragon, right? Isn't that where they? Yeah, that makes sense. Atragon. So they're using the same cold air technology. Yeah, because Atragon has its cold cannon. Yeah. So maybe it's just what Atragon is uh, armed with in terms of small small people. That makes and sense. Regular people, or people, munition of not big, big munitions. We got it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. Yeah. I finally figured it out the last second. (laughs) Um, Okay. Any more effects you got, or should we move on? Uh, Let's move on. Okay. It's time for this week's Dumb Cop Award, Charlie. Bow, bow, bow. Can I go we first? We should play that. I was just saying we should play. What's that show with a bow, bow, bow? Law and uh, Order. We should, Law and we order. should play the Law and, Yeah, we should play that every time we do the Dumb Cop Dumb Cop War. Yeah. Uh, who's first this time? Is it you? Is it me? It's me this time. 
Okay, let's do it. We've never traded off or even talked about who's it is this time, but I'm just going to go. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, okay, I'm torn between two. Oh, rip. Either Ito, who points a gun directly at his face without checking that it's not loaded, or the UN for being a wasteless time, use of time and money. <laughs> Ooh, he's getting political! I just thought it was so funny that, like, we, we kind of mentioned this before, this, this transition, that's <laughs> so quick, it's like, it's like Ito being like, cops can't cope with it, the perp's too big. That's, that's a quote from the movie. The cops <laughs> can't cope with it, the perp's too big. And then ten <laughs> seconds later, UN meets about film, and then UN ignores it, and then Venice destroyed, Hong Kong in ruins. <laughs> <laughs> so fast they're like this might be a bit much for us little detective folks and then like the fucking white collar dudes be like nah we're good and then two cities to obliterate it <laughs> so it's a tough call um i think i'm gonna give it it's just the gun pointing at the face is so obvious for a dumb i'm gonna give it to the u.n mm. fuck them okay well unfortunately I'm going to use my vote as the U.S. to veto your vote. Fair. That's fair. Your vote will not stand. That's fair. Sustained. I'll allow it. (laughs) Yeah, so the obvious one, like you said, was uh, him pointing the gun at his his own face. Um, God, there's another... I feel like there's another one that I also considered, but I can't remember what it was. What I ultimately came down to is the guards of the Empress because... Oh, when they let them by? Well, I was going to say when they go to grab them as prisoners to sacrifice Amanda and... Susumu just easily grabs the Empress and holds her hostage. Yeah. With, like, no problem at all. And, like, holds a dynamite up and is just like, yeah, y'all are fucked. How? Yeah. Like, she's a fucking Empress and this was just, like, so easily half-assed done where there's no problem where a prisoner could just easily grab the empress and hold her hostage. Yeah. Um, also, okay, so I think the thing I was thinking of was the very next shot, like the very next scene. Like, same scene, I guess, but next, like, transition uh-huh. space. And he's holding the empress, this random guy, clearly not from Mu, that no one's ever seen in Mu before holding the dynamite behind the empress's back and like holding onto her shoulder or arm or something and walking her through and with people following and they go up to a guard and the, and she's just like let us through and he's like okay and then they <laughs> go through and they all go through and at the last second he's like wait a second and leans in and the person in the back just stabs him in the chest with a spear and kills him and it's just like i don't, fucking, I don't remember that at it's all so funny dude it's like it's a whole <laughs> scene and like it's just so funny because, like, why is this dude like, oh, yeah, totally, this looks legit. Like, a like the, the <laughs> Empress is being, like, held with a, with a fucking dynamite to her back, like, by this random dude not wearing Moo clothing. And he's like, okay, cool, get on through. <laughs> so funny. That sounds awesome. <laughs>
All right, we got the dumb cops done. Uh, good awards. Yeah, we're, um, we're the, the dumb film. cop cops. <laughs> let's move on to, like, I mean, we talk about filmmaking, but we always just talk about, like, a couple things that stood yeah. into us because we only have so much time. But uh, all of mine, except for favorite shot and the music that I have listed here, we've already talked about. Like, the opening city shots, looking, the, the, the upside yeah. down camera picture, the mystery in the opening, all that was what I had. Did you have anything else directing or writing-wise? No, I don't think so. I feel like there's something I wanted to say about the writing earlier that I can't recall. So, no. If it comes back to you, let us know. Uh-huh. Um, what was your favorite shot? I think it was the shot in the last couple minutes where... Oh, wow. I wrote a whole last paragraph about Makoto and her dad, too. And you forgot about it? It was like... About a specific scene where, where uh, he was like, "Why do you hate me?" And then I wrote like a whole ass paragraph of like why she hates him. <laughs> <laughs> Good job. Uh, uh, favorite shot in the ending where uh, the Empress. Where the the genocide is taking place, and you see these huge explosions, and the Empress runs off across the deck of the of the the, the Atragon, you know, name of the movie, where she runs across the deck of the Atragon, and it's just a really cool shot. You see those huge red explosions in the background, and those kind of like reflect off of the the water that gives it a really cool look meanwhile like the waves are splashing and you see her like i said before she's kind of like the she has a very um distinctive visually appealing image and she's running across the deck and it gives it it has this whole tragic element to it where she's these this she's willing to die i guess for um for this civilization that she feels like she's the ruler of but you know fuck emperors and empresses uh and yeah there's this this beautiful tragic element to it it's all visually appearing appealing there's also a slight unintentional comedic element because like uh um sarazawa jumping into the water earlier it just looks very silly when she she kind of like half dives, half jumps into the water, and it kind of looks a little silly. And so I also appreciate that comedic element. Wow. Well, that was not my favorite shot. Um, <laughs> my favorite shot was when she's swimming at the explosions. Are you serious? Yeah. Okay, because my. Uh, the two. I also wrote. Uh, also, alternately, okay. alternately, the shot of her swimming. <laughs> yeah, so my mine at first was her two. jumping off, and then I switched it to her swimming. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that was just to me that was like clearly the best. I don't know. It was just this epic, crazy. Like it's a mix of awesome special effects with human emotion in a way we don't always see with these earlier like Showa films, and it was just so 
it, it, it finally revealed a side of the of the enemy that we haven't seen before and like you knew that she was swimming towards literally being incinerated like mm-hmm. that's insane and uh she like i don't know it's it's tragic it's beautiful all the things you said it's great it's it's the best yeah, yeah it's very very powerful shot totally um, yeah it's been the last two minutes of the movie so uh... they did it right because a lot of these movies i feel like get a little dull at the very end and this was yeah. just boom the best part agreed um what about the music if score i love that like man like a few months ago i didn't know who this guy was and now you and i can watch a movie and we're like boom that's if yeah um it's definitely a Fukube. Uh, you can easily spot it out. And uh, yeah, I mean, like, it's it's a good score. It's nothing really stands out to me as tremendous. It uh, just sounds like your kind of standard Fukube score, which is something special in and of itself. Um, I don't I don't mean to say it's bad by saying it's just an Ifukube score. It's just, uh, I mean, it's another one of his scores. It's good. It's solid. It supports the movie well. Totally. Like I said, that that dance sequence, I felt like a little let down because usually, I'm, look it, I'm a I'm a pop boy. The other yesterday morning, I was, uh, or two days ago at work, I was listening to my headphones at seven a.m. playing um. Songs You Love mix on Spotify, and uh, uh, Girls Just Want to Have Fun came up, and I gave a little dance to it, and I asked a uh, um, lady friend I've been talking to at work, uh, is, it, is it weird that one of my favorite songs, the Spotify identifies Girls Just Want to Have Fun is one of my favorite songs, and she's like, yeah, that's fucking weird. But you know what? I love pop. I love it. So, yeah, dude. And like, Ifukube, give, give me some catchier stuff. Dude, did you tell her, like, girls just want to have fun? I tried to. Ugh. And she said, look, life's serious. <laughs> and you need to start taking it serious. Bucko. We do want to have fun, okay? I'm not contesting that. <laughs> but do we just want to have fun? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think girls just want to have fun. That's why you are a pop boy. <laughs> I I I love love them catchy hooks. What can I say? And this dance sequ- this dance song do not have a, enough catchy hooks. So Agree. Fukubate, do good, better. Good way to wrap it back. I had no idea we'd gotten there. So good job. Um. Okay. We always talk about the politics, messaging, meaning of movies, and I feel like in some of them, like Godzilla. It's in your face. Some of them, Rodan, it's like very there, but it maybe doesn't encompass the whole thing. And some of them, it feels like it's make, we're making a stretch, you know? But in this one, the themes are extremely clear, right? Yeah, more submarines. <laughs> um, so it's kind of hard to define or put in to categorize the themes, but uh, let's start with talking about the, the film's critique of like imperialism colonization and conquest what 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 do you what do you got charlie what's what's Um, that make you think of honda is not a fan of colonization conquest or imperialism (laughs) 
Maybe a former Next. fan. Um, um, I don't think he was ever a fan. I think he was just, it's my duty to be a soldier for this country, but that's, this, that's, this doesn't necessarily make him a fan. Right. I, I, that's not what I was referring to. I guess I oh. specifically was thinking about how, um, before this film, he was generally a fan of the United Nations and oh, I see. afterwards, or like at the time of this or a little before he started being critical of them, which I guess if I really look at it, the United Nations isn't technically a colonizing or conquesting or imperialist power, but it's adjacent to all of those things. And it is helped by all of those things, right? But look, if I, this, never mind. I wanted to make a joke that's too complex for me to make. <laughs> it's too late now. <laughs> at this point. Okay, look, if a country wants to colonize another people, take another people's land from them, take their homes from them, and bomb them, the UN's going to step up and have a vote about that and have one country disagree, uh, say no to that vote and completely negate any consequence of that vote. So, look, it does some good. <laughs> That's a good point, man. I hadn't looked at it that way. It's like, mm-hmm. it's kind of like the Red Satan submarine. It does some good, but in the end it just implodes. Mm-hmm. Wait, I I wanted to ask. So you you brought that up, um, Honda's opinion of the UN. Does the book you have bring up that uh, his personal feelings on it, or are you just um, no? It uh, does. Ass- assuming that it does. Um, it does. Yeah. Uh, basically, it says roughly that uh honda used to consider the united nations like an organization with the potential to bring about a peaceful world like world peace but at this point he had become disillusioned and kind of would continue to view it as an ineffective ineffective for that purpose for the rest of his life and this was kind of the starting point of that view like his optimism was gone at this point Mm -hmm. and that's kind of uh i think that's what brothers is suggesting is the genesis of of the the digs at the un in the movie for sure that that makes sense that's uh yeah it's interesting to hear about his i mean i could extrapolate a lot of that from it but i wouldn't know for sure so same and maybe that's what he did i don't know yeah he doesn't cite his sources i don't know who the dude is i just listened to a podcast that used the book and it seemed like a lot of good info and it seems to have but I don't know. Mm. Shit. Um, I think one of the main things that makes this critique so apparent are the parallels between, like, the Mu and Imperial Japan, and maybe Japan at the time. Yeah. 100%. Uh, 100%. Um, (laughs) I'm so glad you did that. I was like, I don't know what to do with that. (laughs) Um... Yeah, I mean, a lot of this seems like a self-reflection on Japan itself uh, yeah. with just uh, the Empire Mu as a stand-in for Japan. Um, yeah, like uh, Mu keeps saying that the whole world used to be their colony. Uh, for Japan, it mm-hmm. wasn't the whole world, but maybe the whole world around them at the time. Like it, like uh, Southeast Asia 
they colonized a ton of it. Yeah. Um, the like loyalty and patriotism of so much of Japan, especially during the war, is reflected by the Empress and Agent Twenty Three and the reporter, who will very clearly, with a grin, give their lives for their empire. For <laughs> sure. Yeah. Um, in like a close to kamikaze kind of way, you know, like very, very intensely. Um, the biggest one to me is the the feeling of invincibility. Like before World War II, Imperial Japan felt like they could do anything in the South Pacific. They'd been fighting for 2,600 years and never lost a war in that entire time. Um, Wait, what? Yeah. That's gnarly. Sorry yeah. for... I I didn't know that. That's, that's It's crazy. They'd been uh, uh, colonizing and taking over and pillaging China, um, colonizing Korea. Like, it... I don't know a ton about that, but the little yeah. that I do know, it's like, whoa, Japan! Like, yeah, especially because they like... Intense. Especially considering how fucking small it is, that's yeah. so that's so crazy. I think it's just because Japan was hard to siege. Um, yeah, because it's island nations and they had a better navy. Like they were all about the sea. Um, but I don't know much about it. It's interesting. I would love to learn more about it. But from the little I've I've read, it sounds like holy shit. They were just rocking it. And so with World yeah. War Two, they were just like, we're gonna win. They didn't worry about it until the very end. Like I think the wow. I've heard that the. Um, the bombing raids of Tokyo were when they all of a sudden were like, oh, shit, maybe we're not invincible. Like, maybe we can't just do anything. Um, but I don't know. But, yeah, that's reflected in, like, I mean, there's so many scenes where they're talking about their invincibility. One of the ones that pops up to me is the high priest. The 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 uh, the uh, Atragon is literally drilling into their control room, which before this... The power room, like, that has the power for the whole civilization. Before this, the Empress was like, our power room is exactly six miles below our palace. You'll never be able to defeat us. <laughs> it's like, you're telling them, like, where the hatch on the Death Star is. Like, what are you doing? And then he's like, uh, the high priest, when it happens, like, they're inferior to us. They can't enter the power room from the outside. And they're literally, like, doing it. Doing it, um, yeah. <laughs> oh, shit. Either... I was wrong about the qualifications for entering the power room, <laughs> or they are superior to us. Oh no, <laughs> which one is it? <laughs> yeah. And uh, like like a lot of soldiers in Japan, and like the mentality of Japan and Japanese military in World War II. Obviously, when I say Japan, it could be really problematic. I'm not talking about every single fucking person in Japan. I'm talking about like the higher ups making the decisions that the normal people had to fucking deal with. Um, there was just an idea of death before accepting defeat. And that you can see that in Kamikaze pilots. You can see that in the people that are stranded on islands in the sixties, still thinking that they're about to win. Um, and you can see that in the Empress, like running into the fire, you know? Yeah. Another thing about the Kamikaze, um, element that I was, I don't want to say confused, but, uh, piqued my interest was when we first see, they're flying ships attack. We see one of the ships like run into, I don't know if it was like a train or a truck or something and uh -huh. explode. So that seemed very clearly to be like a kamikaze, oh. but then I don't think we ever saw any other elements of those ships like doing kamikaze attacks. I so, took them in my brain as like drones, but you might be right. Oh, maybe. I don't know why I thought that. Yeah. 
I they're the like the things that I refer to as UFOs before. They they blow up a truck, they blow up a ship, and then I assume because there's so many that they're what blow up Venice and Hong Kong. But yeah, we don't hear mm-hmm. anything about like what they were or how they worked or what caused it or any like regret at losing their own people if they were yeah person yeah you know but we but with the the truck we see it like run ex- into it like intentionally oh yeah so totally I'm just like is that it felt to me like that was supposed to be referenced like a kamikaze thing but then we never really saw a follow-up to kind of like drill that idea home so totally yeah i don't know i was that was one thing that was i was wondering about and I, I don't know the answer to that. And I think this movie actually has quite a few things like that. Again, like like a lot of the rushed things we've talked about, um, that were like threads that never kind of came together. What was the movie we talked about recently that was a thread, a bunch of threads that never came together? Was it King Kong versus Godzilla? I don't know, but I don't like there's there's a scene apparently where audiences in Japan at the time would have recognized that the empress was acting like the emperor of japan and the high priest was actually acting like the um prime minister if i'm remembering correctly and then nothing was done of that again um but i can't Hmm. remember the details i just i just remember reading while just reading a bit about this movie that there were a lot of things that were like oh and then gone (laughs) Um, but yeah maybe it was kamikazes that's that's a good point because i mean they did have little wings it was confusing yeah so very much connected to that same theme we were just talking about but kind of on its own too and maybe even like the biggest theme of the movie is the like patriotism the critique of patriotism and like patriotism patriotism contrasted with what they kept saying is like world affairs but i would think of it as like humanitarianism um and the like generational gap between those things you know like the generals believing in patriotism and the younger people for the most part trying to convince them that they don't understand how things are now but i don't know would you i feel like that's the biggest fucking theme of the movie i agree although i want to point out that the biggest uh older character with the admiral um you talk about how there's that generational gap but he is very clearly like he has gone through that that gap. He is very much on the yeah. side of uh, um, anti-war, I guess. Uh, anti. He's the only reason I... When I thought of him, I said, well, for the most part. But yeah. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, it's almost like, instead of generational, it's almost like symbolically like people who have moved on from the war and people who are still mm-hmm. in the war mentally. Yeah. Or emotionally. Yeah. Um, but even, I mean, even in the beginning, the guy you're talking about, Kusumi, he says country comes before personal feelings. Patriotism. You young people may not understand. He says that in the beginning, even though later he is the one to kind of tell uh-huh. uh, Jinguji, like, look, 20 years have given us a different view of this. But maybe it's just because Japan is in on the idea of the young people's idea of, of the world mattering and us not being us isolationist or something yeah it's such a a thing i've always kind of struggled with um on an intellectual level is just i know that other people are brought up 
to believe America's amazing, America's great, your life is worth, you know, not only uh, dying for this country, but going out and killing other people for this country. And it's just such a hard concept because I was brought up in a completely different way where that was never instilled in my brain and that's always just seen like a been seen by me as a complete absurdity and a um disgusting thing but it's it's hard to bridge that gap where i have to understand the way i've brought up been brought up versus the way other people have been brought up where they've had propaganda shot through their brains and um and I mean, so did you, but nothing countering that propaganda. Right. I mean, there's a difference between propaganda from overall kind of like you see yeah, a commercial here, you're made yeah. to say the Pledge of Allegiance here, to your parents, your grandparents, your brother is all telling you. Your it's friends, all about, your teachers. Yeah, yeah. A, a true man goes into, you know, the military and in, in uh is willing to do anything for their country. So, um, I forgot where I was going with this. I was trying to bring up something kind of deep that, that something that I've always struggled with on an intellectual basis. And I can't remember what my point was. Why the fuck are people patriotic? (laughs) Yeah, I don't, I've never, I've never ever understood patriotism. I, I mean, it's just always seemed like a way for, uh, for me, it's always seemed like a way to manipulate people, um, the idea 100%. of patriotism. I mean, um, I think, in my mind, the the experiences I've had with people who are like that land in two general groups that overlap a lot. One of mm-hmm. them is enough people, saturation, enough people, like you're saying, in your life. Everybody in your life is saying something is true, that that becomes something that to you is true. You haven't thought a lot about it. You haven't gone around and thought about the opposing arguments. You've just heard it's true your whole life to where you decide it's true. And so your entire logic around these things, these are the pillars of your logic. And anything that questions that logic isn't used to question that logic. It's disregarded because it questions a pillar of your entire understanding of the world. So there's nothing you can do. But I think the other side of it is I think in almost a more insidious side from the people who are engaging in it, but a less insidious side from the people who are like telling it to people is the, is the, a a different thing where it's like, this isn't the right thing to do. It's not true. It's that if I don't do this thing, I will die because everybody is in this doggy dog world. Everybody is fighting for their own side. So I have to fight for my side and anybody who doesn't is threatening me because we're fighting a bunch of other people who are fighting us. And so we just have to be all in on our shit, you know? And Mm -hmm. I feel like those are the two angles that make it possible. And those two things just completely contrast with me and anyone I've ever given a shit about, you know, (laughs) like, uh, it's just so fucking, it's just like, Oh cool. You're now thinking yourself into this thought maze that is causing all of the things that you think are already happening. (laughs) Yeah, and then, I don't know, it's just so, I'm lucky to have the upbringing I've had, I guess, Um, maybe, I don't know, because maybe, maybe I'm the kind of person, what? I said, I'm going to give it a yes. yes, but I'm also saying, like, how much comes it down to also, like, personal character, or, like, maybe I've, even I had a 
shitty upbringing where I'm told I should be, because there's plenty of people that they're told they should be, you know, sacrifice their lives to the country, and they still come away saying, no, that's that's stupid, that's fucked up. I mean, and, my parents were cop-loving fucking neoliberals, and I didn't go more right, mm-hmm. I just went more left, you know? Um, For sure. I mean, yeah, yeah and there's tons of people who were raised conservative and that makes them even stronger in their radical views so i think it's just a lot of factions or a lot yeah of factors i mean i just remember talking to a, a co-worker friend who he was a marine in um iraq and he did a lot of really horrible shit um and just talking to him and he's and he like i think he unintentionally got like super vulnerable um because we were just like on a break at work and he's just like yeah and then you start to think you know did i do this because my my dad was a soldier my grandpa was a soldier you know did i do this because that's what i've always been told to and you go home and you think about was what i did was right was it bad and i he wasn't even on the level where he was like what i did was bad he was just like in he the couldn't state admit it of, to himself yet even though he knew it enough it, for it to keep him up at night yeah he's just this constant questioning um and you see someone that like that and it's just like he's laying a bear like his whole family told him this is what you're supposed to be this is who you're supposed to be he was brought up to idealize these people and it's like i can't identify with that in any way at all so it makes not me hard and not even me. that like like on top of all those social pressures, I also didn't have the economic pressure. And like, yeah, I mean, similarly, you were not in the same sense. But like, your mom isn't going to kick you out. You're not going to have nowhere to go. My parents weren't like if I lost it all, I could talk to my parents and they would like let me stay with them or something. There are people who had nothing and like the they had all this ideology and they're fucking yeah. told that the only way they're going to go to college is if they go kill kids in the Middle East. You know. Mm-hmm. And so how yeah. do you fucking, I've never had to deal with a, a decision that hard 20 years yeah. later being like, was that the right thing? <laughs> like, And it's not presented them as you. going to kill kids in the Middle East. It's presented no. as, you yeah. know, something much rosier and yeah, uh, yeah. Freedom doing bullets. good for your country. Um, Freedom bullets into baby terrorist brains. <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> <Jesus>. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm, I'm we sorry We need a longer content warning at the beginning. <laughs> I, um... Yeah, sorry to bring all this heavier stuff into this. No, I appreciate just, it. Uh, something that crossed my mind a lot when I think about patriotism. And my yeah, own and personal like, beliefs, it's just, it's just like, I don't understand patriotism in any way at all. Yeah. Totally. But you understand the mechanisms that get people there. Yeah, no, I understand. understand. On a level where you're in, you've are you yes. been in it and you can feel like... Like, I can't empathize. I don't know what it feels like. I can sympathize. Yes, from... I can be like, that sounds shitty. But I can't be like, that's what it would feel like. And that fucking hurts, you know? Because I have no exactly. idea. Exactly. My, my own perspective is patriotism seems insane. But I also recognize that other people have been have completely different lives where they've had different levels of propaganda and different levels of familial and whatever things that make things different. And I can't fully relate to that. And I like, I want to always be understanding that 
I can't fully relate to something. Um, yeah, I guess for sure. Is what... I mean, yeah. I feel like I can fully relate because I had a lot of propaganda and social and economic pressure push me to vote for Joe Biden in 2020, and that's the thing <laughs> that keeps me up at night. And I feel like that's I mean, not that much different than holding a gun to a little kid's head in the Middle East. So, <laughs> but really, I'm the victim here. That's going to be a lot easier. I think the one you're really going to have time tr- struggling with is when uh, about your vote for Joe Biden in 2024. I think that's going to be a much harder struggle. It's true. I have no idea what part of all that I'm going to keep. I'm not going to worry about it right now. Um, <laughs> Sorry. No, no, Sorry. not from you. That was great. I appreciated it, dude. Um, And yeah, I mean, it's so cultural, like we were talking about, but like, I mean... Sorry, the, the thing that makes me think of is the line in this movie. I think it's Kusumi trying to talk to the younger kids about, like, why Jinguji is like this. And he says, like, things are different, something, something, something. And then he says, they think it's effeminate to think of home. She's like, can you even imagine? Like, what the fuck are you even talking about? Like, there's so much to unpack there, I can't even start. And they're just like, like, people at the time probably be like, yeah. Yeah, totally. I could see that. Yeah. Oh, my God. Okay, what else we got in patriotism and humanitarianism? I mean, one of the one of the biggest signs of how misguided and hypocritical and just silly it is is the fact that these people have defected from the Japanese Navy and they're on their base they've created in secret and they have Japanese flags hanging up. Like, Well, they don't really <laughs> think they're defined, though, because they're not... Aren't they unaware that Japan has uh, sworn off war? I think they're right? unaware that it's sworn off war, but they defected from the war. Like, they revolted is the word they use in our translation all the time. Um, so they're, they're Yeah, what's up with that? How does that work? I think so they, they like, knew... went on their own. They were like, no, we're done taking orders of Japan. So they knew Japan was, was surrendering, and they fucked off to build their submarine... To defend to Japan. That's my guess, yeah. Uh-huh. I don't know, it's just a yeah, it's, just, it's just... Yeah, it's, uh... You're so... You're such a jingoistic piece of shit, like... You're willing... To be more supportive of your country than your country is. Like. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and, like... Yeah, they're like, we surrendered. And he's like, our core never surrendered. And it's like, but then what are you part of? Like, what are you talking yeah. about? Your group of, your group of like 12 or 40 dudes, whatever it is, is, what are you talking? What are you going to do? Like, what are you even doing? Yeah. It's the country. Um, the country's the country. That country's not this ID in your mind. It's an actual thing. <laughs> are you familiar with the writer? Um, I lent you one of his books once, and I don't think you read it. Uh, never read a book, never going to start now. Are you, uh, the Yukio Mishima? That sounds familiar, but no. I, I lent you one of his books, like uh, um, The Sailor Who Fell Out of Grace from the Sea or something like that, a long time ago, but I don't think you ever read it. He was a very interesting character. He, um, he was super far-right nationalist. Uh, he was also gay and uh, like an actor and a bodybuilder um it's not the type of person you would think of as a super far-right nationalist uh an incredible writer 
um, one of my favorite Japanese writers. But he, like I said, he was super, super nationalistic. Um, and I don't remember all the details behind it, but he tried to stage after after World War II. He tried to stage like a military coup, um, and he tried to convince the military to like go back against uh, the peace agreement. And uh, okay, and it, it ended up failing, and he committed a seppuku. Uh, Whoa. Yeah, so that uh, I, this discussion just kind of brought that up to yeah. mind, where he's just this super, super stupidly um, jingoistic, past the point of what the country itself is kind of like, and what the empire himself has kind of decided, yeah. uh, where he's willing to try to, uh, yeah, he's tried to stage a fucking coup. Yeah, then, some January 6th sh- shit. Storm the yeah. Capitol shit. Uh-huh. Totally. Um, we're going to kill the politicians to show how our loyalty to the government. Like, it's <laughs> insane. Um, there's a line, I didn't write it down, but there's a line somewhere where they actually mention the restriction. Because he says he was part of the Navy. And they're like, we don't have a Navy. Like, we, we signed a peace agreement or whatever. And mm-hmm. there, that's kind of been a, a truth that's been overshadowing so many of the discussions we've had about Japanese, like, military politics and shit. Um, but it's interesting. I feel like this is the first movie to actually like say that out loud that we've watched. Yeah, totally. Um, and I think the, the, the biggest line about patriotism in the movie about like the, the generational gap, the, uh, the just silliness and ridiculousness of patriotism is when Susumu says to, uh, Jinguji, you are a ghost wearing the rusty armor of patriotism. And I mean, Mm. we mentioned it before, but it's just, that's fucking sick burn bro and yeah it gets to him it's fucking a sick poetic burn, burn. It, it hurts yeah <laughs> and obviously stuck with him because he repeats it later yeah exactly finally politically do, i just feel like because we're talking about godzilla all the time we have to mention the, the mention of nukes and it's very confusing in this movie mm-hmm. um atragon is atomic powered it ends up saving the day Oh, which brings me to a thing we haven't mentioned yet that we have to bring up after this. Don't let me forget. Uh, the Red Satan is a nuclear sub. It gets blown up. And there's a line where they say they consider using the H-bomb against the Moo. And then one of the characters says, use of the H-bomb is limited, though, by moral considerations. And it's just such a yeah. <laughs> beige, flat line for, like, this series or this, this environment that's had, yeah. like, it's Japan, dude. It sounds like he's being like, oh, God, if only the, <laughs> yeah. the fucking people wouldn't be such whiny-ass babies, fucking triggered snowflakes. <laughs> exactly. Like, when we were watching it the first time, uh, he said that, and I was like, what moral considerations are those? <laughs> yeah. What are you talking about? Like, what you, dude, like, the director of this made goddamn Godzilla, like, depicting Hiroshima mm-hmm. through a monster, and then he's like, yeah, moral considerations. It's mm-hmm. fucking confusing. <laughs> So I remember when you and I were watching it, we were like, Jinguji's like big moment, he comes around, he's like, you're right. Like, they, he doesn't kind of phrase it in a in a way of like, about in the frame of patriotism. He's like, you're right, I've been too focused on war. I've learned. Let's do this. And then they blow up an empire. They like genocide an empire. And it feels like this weird, like, 
almost this like I need to stop being so hyper focused on war, and then they literally just kill every every person that exists in the Mu Empire, and it's just um, intense. My favorite part of that is uh, Amano. Like when the explosion first happens, she's like, "Ah, we did it!" And he like claps or something. <laughs> it yeah. seems so weird as you see this whole yes. this whole people being destroyed. And he like claps one second in to like a five yeah. minute explosion. <laughs> For sure. Oh. Um, it's just a weird, you know that Honda's a pacifist. You know that this is like an anti-empire, anti-conquest movie. And then their solution is just blow up everybody. Yeah. Like, this is an empire. This isn't even a democracy. Like, in a democracy, I could see the argument from an idiot of, like, well, they all voted for it, or most of them did. Mm -hmm. But this is just, like, people being ruled by a ruler, making decisions, and just fuck them all. Also, they mentioned earlier they have Japanese slaves. Um, yes. So, like, that's even more so, like, there's Japanese Oof. people there. Which oh, I didn't also, think of that. I wonder, like, how many Japanese slaves they have. Like, how long have they been, like, stealing, kidnapping <laughs> people, like, and they've been completely unnoticed? Because <laughs> I think we only see two, and it's actually this kind of weird vision, because they, they're this weird, I don't know what the word is, but, like... You you hear that they have Japanese slaves, and then you see the Mu, like, holding spears or something and walking these two dudes, who you assume are the Japanese slaves, through this room. And, like, they're in, like, regular city, you know, 1960s mm -hmm. clothes. And it's just this inversion of what we normally see, where, like, the people wearing kind of primitive ancient clothes are, like, taking slaves that are wearing, like, the shit you wear to, like... <laughs> a regular ass blue collar job it's just so strange and then yeah i didn't even think of that they just blew them all up holy shit well, damn that's gnarly i didn't think about that till now either Whew. all right well you got any other political things or should we finish this up um, i think we're good all right so we're rating this on the godzilla scale yeah yeah who's first uh you i guess i don't know all right you this say so i always weird. say that so i'm yeah. just trying to repeat history i can't remember who did last so I, we'll just I do have that no idea um it's so weird to rate this on the godzilla scale this is the weirdest yeah. one to put on that scale for sure um oh i think i'm gonna give it a b because yeah, B for because. Okay. No, I, like, I'm between a B and a C. It's definitely not an A. It's definitely not a D. It's got good elements. It's fun. Um, it's got cool sets. It's very different. It's got a cool vibe, but it's inconsistent. It has a lot of weird plot holes. The polit political messaging is kind of cool, but it's kind of contradicted by internal mechanisms of the film, so... Somewhere between a B and a C, I'm going to land on B because I'm feeling generous. All right. Rabbits is a D. How about um, you? I think I'm going to have to go with a C, mainly so that I can do some kind of ocean pun. Okay. I don't get it. Can you explain? 
What's to explain? Like, is the sea deep and blue? Um, I mean, C, the letter C is pronounced the same way you pronounce C-E-A, and this whole movie took place in the sea and the ocean. C-E-A, huh? C, did I pronounce it? C-E-A, yeah. <laughs> S-E-A. Right? Oh, uh, S-E-A. You know what? Some of us don't have an English degree, and some of us do. That's true, and we'll never reveal who's who. That's the mystery of no gods, no monsters. I feel like I should just end it there, but uh, that's what you're giving it? Why? Yeah. How come? Besides the sea pun. I mean, that's the only reason why. That's the only reason why. So if a C, C was an S on the scale, but it was a letter C, you'd give it that. I mean... I might have some second thoughts, but ultimately, I think so. Sweet. I'm glad the integrity is keeping strong. Um, you have any other concluding thoughts? Or are we done with Atragon? I think we're done with Atragon. Uh, just, uh, we need more Manda. Yeah. Let's, he let's sucks. Do, uh... I don't want him anymore, but we do. Hey, um, HBO... Let's do a Amanda movie. Is that the company that owns? No. <laughs> What's the United States company that does the movies? Oh, Legendary. They're owned by like Universal or one of those. And yeah, they are paired with HBO. I thought you meant. Hey, Universal or one of those. Let's let's do a Amanda movie. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Sweet. And you should maybe call Amanda it... versus. Manda versus Michael Myers. I think Manda versus Rodan would be sick. That would make more sense than Michael Myers. Oh, I didn't even think about yours. No, that makes more sense. Yeah. Freddy Krueger versus Michael Myers versus Manda. Versus... Winner takes all. Bruce Campbell. Hell yeah. All right, we'll, we'll think about that, folks. Um, <laughs> this... Thank you for listening this long. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at NoGodsPod. You can email us, NoGodsPod at gmail.com. And you can rate and review us on all of your rating and reviewing zones. Wherever you rate and review, rate and review us. Give us a good one if you like it. Give us a bad one if you don't. Give us a medium one if you're in the middle. Or just give us a medium one if it sounds like a pun on what you want to to rate us on are you mad at me for that <laughs> not at all I was, just, I was just trying to do some kind of joke at the end because it's boring to do the ending okay <laughs> you seemed annoyed when i wasn't uh saying anything more and my plan was to not say anything more <laughs> i just thought it was funny because usually i say like i'm doing it this for this reason and you're like Oh, uh, that's it. And then you go on for five minutes about why you're ready to get the way you are. So I was waiting for more. I thought you were trying to like fuck with me. I just usually think our episodes could be longer, but I think this one is the perfect <laughs> length. So this one is so long, but it went by fast. I had fun. I can't believe like if I looked at if you told me it was half as long, I would believe you. I feel like we. Oh, my God. I, I can't we're... believe it's 1140. <laughs> yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like we somehow went really hard on that. Yeah. What time do you have to get up for work? Uh, 5.30. Oof. All right. 
Get out of here.